Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? That could take me a while to calculate. In the meantime, you should think about over-the-counter Contour Next test strips. You get 35 for $19.99, and they're highly accurate. For full details, visit ContourNext.com slash radio. Because we got to make sure that Bill WD-40 can enter the Spreaker chat room and then lube us up for tonight's show because you always want to go into a show smooth. LGG, good to have you here, my man. Paramarv, nice to see you. Once again, I will be at UFOCon 2023 in San Francisco, March 17th through 19th. Our guest tonight, Deb Jordan-Cobble, will be there as well, along with Science Bob, Melinda Leslie, Sev Talk, Lorian Fenton. We want to see you all there. You can get your tickets at UFOCon2023.com. And then, of course, Las Vegas in May. Who's coming? At the Golden Nugget, May 19th through 21st for the second annual Spaced Out Radio Fan Party. We want to see you all there. You go to info at spacedoutradio.com. You can get your tickets, VIP tickets, uh, finish uh, on April 1st. So if you're going to be... Uh, a VIP, make sure you get your tickets in. Justin Shapker, your hair looks fantastic. Friend of Squirrel, how are you? Ed Bobo, good to see you. Film Intervino, thanks for coming on in. Horns up. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show and our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on TalkStream Live, uh, Odyssey Radio, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news, wire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find us on our website. Tonight we are going deep, deep, deep into alien contact. The intruders who take us at night. Author, researcher Deborah Jordan-Cobble is here. We'll bring her in momentarily. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Swamp Dweller has another spooky story for us. And then Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio will join us for the Cryptid Report. Let's get to it, shall we? Deborah Jordan-Cobble was the central figure in Bud Hopkins' international bestseller, Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods. In 1992, Hopkins' book was made into a CBS miniseries of the same name. In 1994, Deb co-authored with her sister Kathy, Abducted. The story of The Intruders continues. In August of 2021, Deb's second book, Extraordinary Contact, Life Beyond Intruders, was published. She is a former Indiana MUFON investigator. She co-founded her own paranormal group, Paranormal Underground, and along with co-founder Greg Cable, hosted the Midwest Paratalk podcast. Now, Deb is happily retired, and she is a Red Cross volunteer. 
She's a wife, mother, grandmother, and now a great-grandmother, but she still loves her aliens. Yeah, you can never, once you go aliens, you can never go back. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but Deb Cobble, it's her second time on Spaced Out Radio here, and we say thank you so much for coming back on. How have you been? Been good, thank you. Um, staying busy, uh, trying to get my retirement feet on the ground. You know, it's a, it's a different thing after you've worked your whole life. So, uh, but I'm I'm figuring it out. I'm to the point now where I think, how did I ever work a full time job for all these years? Because <laughs> I have so much stuff to do now. Well, you... and I get to spend time with the grandkids. That's always great. And now you're a great grandmother, which is kind of yes. cool she's it's um my my step grandson so you know but he was born two weeks after my husband and i got married so and now he is a father and uh she's just beautiful and uh-huh. i can't help it <laughs> I, I my grandson uh he he's two months old and i'm so excited because uh i get to see him this weekend oh and good. and uh i haven't seen him since the day he was born and or a couple days after he was born and so i am just so pumped up you know thank god for facetime honestly oh yeah thank god for facetime because every day my daughter will facetime me in the morning so i get to say good morning to my grandson and it is just the most heartwarming thing that i i just it melts me that kid's already got me wrapped I when I became a mother, I thought that was it. You know, that's all I ever wanted in life. But being a grandma is like next level. (laughs) It's all the fun with none of the responsibility. (laughs) Oh, I hear you. I hear you. You know, I'm very excited to get to meet you at UFO Con 2023 in San Francisco in just about three and a half, four weeks from now. It's it's an exciting time. This will be my fourth time down to San Francisco for Lori and Fenton's event. And I will tell you, it is a great time. And the one thing that I love is meeting people such as yourself. And I'm very excited. What are you going to be speaking of down there? Well, <clears throat> I don't do this very often, so I'm excited and nervous. Um, but I'll be, you know, I'll introduce myself to folks who don't know who I am because, you know, intruders happened the, the incident that it ha- that was written about was 40 years ago, so it's been a while. Um, so I'll go over that. But then um, I want to share with people how my life has been since then. And since my when my sister and I wrote Abducted shortly after Intruders came out, the main goal of that was just to tell our story in the first person, you know, instead of Bud telling it as an investigator. Um, but since then, um, I've had more strange things happen, not, not on the level of June 3083, but, and a lot of changes happened in me and a lot of weird things have happened in my life outside of paranormal uh, UFO stuff that um, seem to all, I don't know, come together. And uh, I just wanted to, I'll, I'll be sharing with people there. I've got, we're going to bring some slides and I'm not a professional and I just just now learned how to do PowerPoint. So I hope it works, but I'll be bringing some pictures, um, you know, of the original um, incident that is the focal point of intruders. And then uh, some new pictures that other people that nobody's seen before um, 
of the place now and just uh, some drawings that I've done. And I'll just be, you know, kind of just sharing how my life has been since intruders, you know, it's been a long time, but I'm still here kicking. Are you still being abducted? Um, I haven't had an experience like that. I would consider or, or, uh, or think about as an abduction since probably, um, 1992 or 93. That's not to say that things haven't happened, but I think it's gone to a different kind of level. You know, I'm, I'm have, I started having more lucid dreams and, uh, more of what people would call paranormal activity. And that's one of the reasons I got involved in the paranormal side of the whole, uh, unusual phenomenon. You know, we always had paranormal stuff happen to us. Uh, you know, I thought everybody had it happen to them. Actually, I thought it was part of life. And then, uh, when every when I started to remember all the other UFO related stuff and then met Bud and all that um, came out into the public, one of the way I one of the ways that I deal with things that make me nervous or afraid is I try to learn everything about it. So that's why I went and became an investigator for MoveOn because I was trying to figure out my own stuff and uh, you know I wanted to learn more about it and then I wanted to help other people. Well, we had paranormal activity, and I noticed as a researcher, as an investigator for MUFON, that that was a kind of a common thread among a lot of the cases that I was on, that the people that had these experiences were also having these kind of little paranormal things. So that's how I got kind of steered into that, you know, area. And I'll, I'll just share all that with people when I do my talk. Right. Right. For people who may not be familiar with your story, let's go back in time because, I mean, most people in this field have heard of Bud Hopkins, but mm -hmm. they they may not be familiar with your story. So if you could give us like a five, ten minute synopsis of what mm -hmm. happened to you and your family, that would be wonderful. Well, I was um, staying. I was living with my parents at the time. I had moved back home and I had with two little kids and uh an event happened in my mom and dad's backyard one night on June 30th, 1983. Um, I had been gone to a neighbor's to cut out patterns and we, we had noticed a strange light in the backyard prior to me leaving in the pump house of the swimming pool. And uh, I went ahead and my mom felt comfortable enough. To let me go. My dad was at work second shift so I left, but as soon as I got to the house, the street behind us, she called and wanted me to come back home because later she told me she'd seen a, a basketball-sized ball of light around the bird feeder behind the house and by the kitchen window. So I came back home. Um, I'm thinking burglars. Dad had a big workshop back behind the swimming pool that had like motorcycles and all kinds of things in it. So I was concerned that there were prowlers around there. Um, so I got back to the house and I looked around the yard and I didn't see anything. I noticed that the garage door was open. The pedestrian door to the garage was open that was attached to the house. And the house was a tri-level sandstone tri-level. And so, um, I went in there. I had picked up when I got back to the house, I had 
picked up my dad's shotgun. Uh, it was not loaded, but like I told mom, I figured whoever was out there wouldn't know it till I got close enough to hit him with it. So, um, so anyway, I, I go into the garage with the shotgun. I'm looking for um, a burglar. Didn't see any, but I s- suddenly felt like I was on fire. It, I, and I had the thought in my head, oh my God, I got to get out of here. Uh, and I started to run through the pedestrian door out the garage and I was hit with this light and started in my chest area and spread through my whole body. I, it blinded me. It was so bright. I know my eyes were closed, but I could still see it. And I was vibrating, shaking to the point where it felt like I was coming apart. And um, I felt something pull on my shoulder and I heard a a voice say it was unfortunate that I had to feel pain. Then uh, the vibrating stopped, the light got dimmer, but I suddenly realized I was no longer in the doorway. I was out on the concrete patio. And at that point I could see people, which I thought were like little kids, out moving around in the yard in front of me and they all kind of just slid together and kind of glided down in front of me. And then um, at some point I felt like somebody stuck something in my ear and in my mind, I imagined like a hot poker or a knitting needle, you know, hot and I couldn't move, couldn't scream. My vision was all splotchy at this point. So I could see these, kids moving around in the yard, but I couldn't see a lot of detail because I had these big white splotches in my vision. And then as they moved in front of me is when I saw this thing, we call it a craft. And in retrospect, I don't, I don't see how anybody could fly anywhere in this thing. It wasn't much bigger than the pump house swimming pool. It was egg shaped. It was off to my left. And uh, there was a basketball sized ball of white light in front of it that was softer. And uh, I remember at one point thinking, Oh my God, my kids. And that voice came back and said, your kids are okay. Then I heard my name being called. And as soon as I did, it was like someone snapped their fingers and I could move. And I uh, turned and walked up to back of the house, up the steps to the back kitchen. And my mom was in the doorway and she asked me if everything's all right. And I said, yeah, everything's cool. But Instead of going back to sew, we went, my friend came over with her daughter and we got in the swimming pool, walked across the yard and her daughter stepped on something that she said felt like hers was uh, stinging on her foot uh, as we walked across the backyard, which ended up being the area that left the mark in the yard. So anyway, we're in the pool for 10, 15 minutes and we all start getting sick and my vision gets really bad. I start getting like white halos around lights. And my eyes were hurting and, and we just, they went home and I went to bed. When I woke up the next morning, I couldn't see. My eyes were swelled shut. So mom took me to the emergency room and I went, was then from there taken to an eye specialist office across the street who uh, first asked me if I had looked into the arc of a welder's torch, which made no sense to me. When I was there that next morning, I didn't remember the white light. And the bright, intense light and anything that had happened, because that memory went away as soon as I heard my name. So uh, but a couple days later, we're all outside in the backyard. Uh, The kids are out in the yard and they call us to come out. And there's this mark in the yard that's about an eight foot circle with a 49 foot streak 
coming off one side that went all the way, span the whole span of the backyard between the house and the swimming pool. And my mom looks at it and says, oh, that's where our UFO landed the other night. And that freaked me out at first. And as I was looking at the mark in the yard and looking at her as she was nervously giggling, I started to remember the light and the kids in the yard and that egg-shaped thing. And from that point on, I just spiraled. I feel like I had a nervous breakdown. Um, My eyes were never the same. I was diagnosed with macular degeneration and cataracts in my late 30s. And I always blame that, although I can't prove it. And I had to have my lenses and my eyes replaced by the time I hit 50. Uh, But, uh, and I got sick. The dog that had been out there with me that night, she got sick and she ended up being put down. Um, And I had picked up Bud Hopkins' book, Missing Time, several months before in the library I could never finish it because I kept having a panic attack every time I tried to read a little bit of it. But I did remember that there was an address in the back that you could write to this guy if you thought that you'd had one of these experiences. And I felt compelled. Uh, So many memories started coming back, not just of that night, but of things from my past. And I felt compelled to go back to the library and write to him. And uh, I did. And he responded and, Three years, two or three years later, after his investigating, he wrote the book. Uh, we, we didn't want him to write a book about it at the time when he first approached us about writing a book. We're like, no, nah, that's okay. <laughs> we're good. I just wanted help trying to sort out what was going on, you know. Um, but eventually he convinced us that it would, there were thousands and thousands of people out there like us and it would help other people. And he thought it was an important story that needed to come out. So my family and all, all, we took a vote and we all agreed that, you know, he could write the book. So anyways, and that's what the, the intruders, Bud Hopkins book intruders is based around that June 30th, 1983 incident. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, the fact that you were able to get recall on your situation, I mean, how much of that entire incident have you been able to put together? I I still, I still don't recall most of it. I would say I probably remember maybe 10 minutes of it. Uh, And Bud, between um, talking to the neighbors uh, my parent, my mother, and then the people that whose house I was at when I left there, he figures that I was probably, it was probably about an hour and 15 minute long or an hour and 30 minute long of missing time that I don't remember, you know, the period of time. But I only still to this day, maybe remember 10 minutes of it. Um, all of it came back spontaneously as soon as I saw the mark in the yard and then I had one hypnosis session with Bud after um, he came, when he came to Indiana, the first, I think it was the first time he came to Indiana. And I remembered a little bit more, but not very much. And so, yeah, I still don't. And honestly, I'm good. <laughs> I, mean, I, I figure I've gotten this far without remembering a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
You know, for me as an experiencer as well, uh, that isn't good enough for me because yeah. I I have this. Well, I started a radio show over mm-hmm. over my experiences because I I didn't know where to look for answers, and you know I know that I'm not going to get them. I'm not mm-hmm. satisfied with that answer. I think I'm prepared for what is to come. I know I've had some good experiences and I know I've had some very ugly experiences. And I mean, I know I'm going to have to take the good with the bad. Have you ever Mm -hmm. gone under hypnosis in order to figure out what happened to you? Or is this just something that, that you have kind of just come to terms with? I have had, um, I have had a few hypnosis sessions I had one with Dr. Clamar, the psychiatrist in New York, when I first went. Nothing came from that. And then I've had um, a couple, I think I've had about four, maybe four or five with Bud over the course of three years. But you got to remember, this was back in the 80s. Uh, Bud was in New York. I was in Indiana. There was, I, neither one of us could afford to fly back and forth all uh, that a lot. You know, I, I sold my washer and dryer to get a bus ticket to go there the first time. Um, there wasn't even Skype or cell phones. Hell, it was a long distance phone call. We did a lot of things by mail and, you know, quick phone calls, but, and I, there wasn't, uh, I didn't have the resources around me to do a lot of stuff, a lot of hypnotherapy or whatever, but, um, I did have some, I did recall a few things that's see, that's one of the reasons why I got involved with MUFON. I, um, I wanted to learn more about it. I was trying to figure out what was going on with me and with our, our yard and everything. Even before Bud came in the picture, I could find people that could tell me what it wasn't. Start your future at Eastern Shipbuilding Group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability, increased wages, bonuses, with full benefits. Eastern Shipbuilding, located on the world's most beautiful beaches in Panama City, Florida, has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years. Now, hiring first-class ship fitters, welders, electricians, pipe fitters, and many more. Offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed $80,000 or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime. Apply at Eastern Ship building.com start your future at eastern shipbuilding group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability increased wages bonuses with full benefits eastern shipbuilding located on the world's most beautiful beaches in panama city florida has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years now hiring first-class ship fitters welders electricians pipe fitters and many more offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed eighty thousand dollars or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime apply at eastern ship building.com what what couldn't wouldn't make the mark in the yard what wouldn't melt the lines is you know i mean what would what what would damage my eyes but i couldn't i couldn't find anybody to tell me what could be what did cause that in the yard you know i went i called the agricultural agent for the state of indiana at purdue um we called the gas company uh the electric company had to come out and replace the transformer. My dad was out there grilling them about stuff. So I figured if, when I joined MUFON, I could get answers, not just for myself, but for other people, you know, I, I, I'm 64 years old now and I've, I've accepted the fact I'm not going to get answers. And like I said, I'm, I'm okay with that because I've managed to function. Okay. 
earlier on, I didn't function well. I, I felt like I had a nervous breakdown after June 30th, 1983. And I'm thankful that my parents were there to help me uh, through that. But um, And I had a lot of physical sickness afterwards. But uh, I got through it. And, um, you know, I've just, I guess I've just kind of accepted the fact that I'm probably not going to get all the answers I want. And, you know, it is what it is. Is that frustrating? Yeah, it can be. I mean, that's frustrating with anything in life, you know, that you would, would like to have and can't. So, I mean, I hope in my lifetime before I go that at least we'll get some validation from, you know, the governments of the world that they'll say this stuff is really here. You know what I mean? I feel like we're kind of getting that way a little bit, but I don't have a lot of hope for that either. Right. You know, that's probably one of the big frustrating things for me as well is, is just having these bits and pieces. You know, whether it's a 30-second clip or whether it's a, a 10-minute clip of, of what's happened. Because I don't know about you, but I, I tend to struggle at times with, was that just a dream? Did that really happen? Oh. You know, it, drive, it drives uh-huh. me nuts. The only way that, mm-hmm. I do, that I can answer it for myself is I don't remember my dreams at night. But I can sure always seem to remember when aliens are there. You know, I... I I feel you on that. I do. And um, hold that thought. I, hold that thought. Okay. Because we do have to go to break here at the bottom of the hour here on Spaced Out Radio. Deborah Jordan Cobble, ET Intruders, Alien Contact, ET Abductions. It's all coming up next on the Mighty SOR. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we are clear. And uh, just a reminder to you, our YouTube audience and our podcast audience can hear us. Our radio stations cannot. (coughs) That was a good first half hour. Went quick. Very quick. Very quick. Sorry if I talk too fast. No. There's so much. You're doing great. <laughs> you are doing absolutely great. Yep. So when do you fly into San Francisco? Oh, um, 17th. I arrive at almost midnight on the 17th. Oh, like you're missing the Friday night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, she's flying me in Friday night, and I don't get there until midnight. And then I leave Sunday at 4.30 in the afternoon. I don't get back home until one thirty in the morning. So it's going to oh, be goodness. some crazy travel. This yeah. is the only flights that she could get. So, you know. Right. I uh, I am, uh, I arrive at about, I land at 12.05 on Friday afternoon. And then I'm leaving Monday morning, so that'll be that'll be okay. And then once I landed at in Vancouver, then I have a six-hour drive home. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I'm about an hour and a half from the airport to my house here. Oh, that's nice. I, I fly out of Indy, Indianapolis International, but I'm up in Kokomo. So yeah, I have. Uh, so when I finish my radio show on that Thursday night. I will literally hop in my vehicle and drive down to Vancouver. Wow. And You're going to be, then I will be a long day. Then I will sleep on the plane because I'm one of those <laughs> people who can sleep on a plane. Uh, I will sleep on the plane and then hop on that. I think I take off at like 930 or two hour, 15 minute flight or two hour, 20 minute flight. That's good enough for sleeping. Do you know? <laughs> I, I, yeah, um, I don't really sleep on flights very well though. Cause I'm kind of nervous about flying, but no, you've been on UFOs. There's no reason for you to be, <laughs> I'm, I am nervous about flying. I don't like to fly. I do it. You know, I don't let it stop me. I don't, but the only thing that bugs me about uh, sleeping on an airplane is the fact that I know I snore. And uh, I I feel really bad for the people around me, so I have to tell the people, look, if I stop snoring, just hit me, or if I start uh, snoring, just just you know, smack. How me. long does it take to fly from where you're at to to San Fr- San Francisco? About two hours and twenty minutes. Oh, that's not terribly bad. Yeah, I'm gonna have eight hours of travel time, uh, five and a half hours going home, but eight hours coming in. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, it is what it is. I'm just grateful to be able to come. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I. You said I remembered Sev is going to be there. I've, I've, she's my Facebook friend. So uh, that'll be nice, too. So for all of you out there who are talking weather in the chat room, outside SOR Studios right now, it is minus 15 degrees Celsius, which is about, oh, what's that in Fahrenheit? Let's check uh, Celsius to Fahrenheit, uh, minus 15. That's five degrees Fahrenheit. And day nine in a row of snow. We're now up to about three feet in the backyard, three feet in the back uh, area. So uh, the snow continues, going to continue through tomorrow. Mr. Eon, the voice of the gods, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. Yes, Mr. Eon has a great idea. There's 201 people watching right now. Uh, do us a favor. Hit that uh, subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up or down. It really helps with our algorithms, uh, so we really appreciate it. And if you could leave a comment after the show, we'd really appreciate it as well. Jeff Steve Garvey, I know you'll hit a home run for me. How you doing tonight? And uh, don't forget UFOCon 2023 in San Francisco that Deb and I were just talking about. You can go get tickets at UFOCon2023.com. You use the promo code SPKR23, and it'll be able to get your tickets cheaper. Uh, Lam Yuan Fung Fet, welcome to SOR Chat. And here we go, everyone. We got three seconds.
second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do us a favor, hit that subscribe button. You can check us out on all podcast formats from Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, Google Play, and every podcast format out there. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. All right, we continue on talking ET contact, alien abductions, author, researcher, Deborah Jordan Cobble is here tonight talking about the intruders. And right before the break, Deb, I was telling you about one of my stories about just how it feels, where you feel vulnerable, you feel like it's a dream, you feel that it's hard to tell whether or not it's a dream or not. And unfortunately, due to the break, we had to cut you off there. So I'll get you to restart uh, kind of your thoughts about the whole dream aspect. Yeah, I, I, like I said before uh, the break, I really feel you when you say that because I've been through, I go through that still. Um, I went through that. The, the incident in uh, June of 83 was different than a lot that you read about because there was trace physical evidence. There were uh, other witnesses and um, there was some, evidence uh on myself and the dogs you know as far as our damages our injuries and stuff so it wasn't just me out there that night really Uh start your future at eastern shipbuilding group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability increased wages bonuses with full benefits eastern shipbuilding located on the world's most beautiful beaches in panama city florida has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years now hiring first class ship fitters welders electricians pipe fitters and many more offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed eighty thousand dollars or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime apply at eastern ship building.com start your future at eastern shipbuilding group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability increased wages bonuses with full benefits eastern shipbuilding located on the world's most beautiful beaches in panama city florida has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years now hiring first class ship fitters welders electricians pipe fitters and many more offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed eighty thousand dollars or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime apply at eastern ship building.com uh, the neighbor across the street and the neighbor next door saw things uh, even 20 years later the neighbor behind had written a letter to bud that, that something that had happened that she thought was that night so it wasn't just me so that was easier for me to uh, believe that something r- really physically happened i mean their mark in the yard it stayed there for two and a half years snow melted off of it the first year um, and um, there are uh, other big things that happened uh, in my life before that, that was with other people. There were other people involved with me at the time, but then there are odd things that happened that I was just by myself. And then I'm, then I'm like you, I'm like, that can't be, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and in the book, both books, I, I will tell these stories that happen but i tell you 
this is what I think it was, but I'm not sure. I don't know for sure, 100%. And I don't know, you know, and I kind of get red flags sometimes when I hear people say they have all the answers and they know everything about where they are from, what they're doing, why they're here, because I've seen things and I still don't know. So the red flags kind of start flying for me, you know, because I doubt myself. Uh, I told you, I felt like I had a nervous breakdown after the June 30, 83. I had an entire year of not being able to sleep at night, sitting up in the night and only being able to sleep when the sun came up, not being able to go in that bathroom that overlooked the mark in the yard because I felt like something was going to pull me out of the house through the window, you know, crazy stuff. Uh, And that made me doubt it. When Bud took me to be tested, I had psychological uh, I had a CAT scan or a, a, I had an X-ray of my head. I think it was a CAT scan. I had dye. I had an EEG. I had verbal and written psychological testing done in New York at the hospital. And I remember telling the doctor, it's okay if I'm crazy. You know, if, if you tell, it's all right if you tell me I'm crazy because I know they make pills for that and that'll make this stop, you know. Um, but I wasn't crazy. They tested me. <laughs> but um uh, so, and, and a funny thing happened during one of Bud's visits and I had drawn pictures of what I remembered seeing in my bedroom back in 78 and the face that I remembered, uh, remembered in 83, the alien face, I had drawn a picture for him. And when he came, he brought this picture and he put it down on my mom's table in the dining room or in the kitchen and he said, what do you think about what do you what is what do you think when you see this? And I freaked out because I, I thought it was my drawing. And I'm like, how did you get my drawing? And because um, I hadn't give it to him. He said that that's not your drawing. That is uh, this. It was a lady named McBride. And I think it, she was in Ohio. And I think it was drawn in 70 in the 70s. I had never seen it before. And it looked so much like my drawing that I thought it was mine at first. And it, and it scared me. And I remember running upstairs and puking because it, it, I had always kind of convinced myself, well, you might, maybe you're just, you know, dream, maybe you dreamed this, maybe it's not real. And then when I saw this drawing, this other woman made of something that nobody knew about that was still in my head, I thought there was no way I could, you know, the only way that this woman could have drawn this was either to get in my head and know what I saw or saw saw it herself, you know, and it screwed up my way of trying to compartmentalize this stuff and put it away. Um, so, but anyway, so I completely feel you on, I still have, and the, you said something about dreams. I don't, I do dream, but I don't remember them usually when I wake up. If I even remember that I have a dream, had a dream, it's like, oh, I had this dream. And then, you know, an hour later, it's completely gone. I don't remember nothing. But I have these other kinds of dreams and they are different. The more awake I am, the more of that I remember. And they're like imprinted in my soul forever, the memory of this dream. And it's like a lucid dream. It's different. It's color. It's three dimensions. I'm in it. I'm not watching it i'm in it it's a different kind of dream than a regular dream and for a long time 
you know, I had these dreams and now I'm beginning to realize, or at least this is my feeling for myself anyway. I feel like uh, those lucid dreams are actually a different kind of an experience. So when I say I'm not having the physical things like June 30th, 83 or 78 when I was first married or when I was a teenager uh, back in the late 70s, you know, it's not physically, there's not physical contact anymore, but I feel like these dreams that I have that are like these once in a while, they're some kind of contact. It's a different, it's just different. It's a different level of contact and the physical is no longer necessary. You know, that's just my opinion though, for myself. I can only speak for my own experiences and my own, you know, feelings and opinions. So. The idea that, you know, this is not only happening to you, but you have talked to a number of other people who have had contact one way or another with extraterrestrials or UFOs. What similarities have you noticed between contactees? They all seem to have, um, almost feel like you have this extra sense. Like sometimes I feel like, I got rewired up in my head, you know, and I have like these extra senses about people and things. And a lot of people that I meet that have had this kind of contact also kind of feel like they have these, um, like this, some, something is opened up in their mind, you know, and that they are more aware. Uh, and, um, you know, people see, people report different kinds of aliens and stuff. Uh, so, you know, I see all different kinds of descriptions of what the aliens look like or the ship look like or whatever, you know, I personally feel like some of what I'm having contact with or what I've had contact with isn't necessarily extraterrestrial. I feel more like I lean more towards uh, extra dimensional, even with the thing that left the mark in the yard. And because there were six little kids in the yard, six or six things that were the size of little kids, you know, and this egg shaped thing wasn't much bigger than the pump house. And in retrospect, thinking back, there's no way that six of those little guys could even go in that thing and fly anywhere. I don't know what that thing was and I don't know where it came from or where it went or, or how they all got in there, you know? I, so I'm feeling like, what I'm dealing with or what I've dealt with might be more um, uh, interdimensional or some, and even some of the EVPs that I've captured as a paranormal researcher, I don't feel like they're ghosts that I've captured. Uh, I had an epiphany one time while listening to an EVP, the EVP said, are the spirits listening? And I thought, Oh my goodness. I am a spirit somewhere else and somebody is hearing me have this conversation with snippets of me with my nephew having this conversation, you know? And so, um, but that, that kind of thinking, uh, I, I, I find that in people. I meet a lot of people like, like me, (laughs) that might be kind of scary, but I've met a lot of people like me over the years that have this, kind of uh, self-doubt and, and, but some kind of an awakening inside you intellectually and um, just, and almost spiritually in a way, and I'm not religious. Don't, don't take that the wrong way, but you know what I'm, you know what I mean? 
Yes. I find that a lot. I meet that a lot. Do you ever notice that the people who you were talking to are having the same encounters with the same type of extraterrestrials that you had? Um, I meet more of them. I do know, I do know people and I have friends that have like had like what they call the reptilian contact with some reptilian types or whatever. I've not ever had that. And the, and the funny thing is my older sister who had an experience in 1965 that she always talked about that we just kind of, you know, took it as I grew up with it. So I thought it was normal. <laughs> um, because she's 11 years older than me. Hers was a bigger, lark, more mantis looking, uh, looked like a gray, but kind of a morph of a mantis gray mixed, tall and slender. I never saw anything like that. Uh, mine were always the little gray, the small gray um, things or humans look like, just look like humans. Um, and it seems like I meet it, most of the people that I meet have seen the same kind. It's just like we all kind of gravitate towards one another. And it's almost like you can almost, I can almost sense it when I'm around someone, if they're like me without them even saying much, you know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like radar. (laughs) Oh yeah. And do you have a sense of to know when they are coming around? Um, I did. I used to be able to, um, maybe it's just because I haven't, I don't think they've been around much, but yes, I used to be able to feel. Start your future at Eastern Shipbuilding Group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability, increased wages, bonuses with full benefits. Eastern Shipbuilding, located on the world's most beautiful beaches in Panama City, Florida, has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years. Now hiring first-class ship fitters, welders, electricians, pipe fitters, and many more. Offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed $80,000 or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime. Apply at Eastern Ship building.com start your future at eastern shipbuilding group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability increased wages bonuses with full benefits eastern shipbuilding located on the world's most beautiful beaches in panama city florida has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years now hiring first class ship fitters welders electricians pipe fitters and many more offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed eighty thousand dollars or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime apply at eastern ship building.com the air felt different it almost felt like i would feel a static swirl around me like you know what it feels like when you have like a static charge in your arm the hair on your arm stands up like static electricity i would feel that and i would feel and i would hear um uh, uh, a really high pitch of beeping sound in my head kind of um couple times there would be a knock like on the wall in my room right before something started. Um, But yeah, yeah. I used to be able to sense that. See, for me, it was, it was uh, Pink Floyd's. Is there anybody out there (laughs) that used to haunt me? And I knew within either that day or within a couple of days that I'd be going on a trip. And it used to trip me out a little bit, no pun intended, yeah. you know, but, but I mean, it's amazing how many people get their, their triggers, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and these triggers just seem to be highly accurate for some reason. I do want to ask, you know, the fact that y- you have had contact with these little gray beings, did they ever let you feel them or touch them or, or get close to them? Well, I remember feeling one one time when he took my hand and it felt like, well, I've never, well... I take that back. I have touched a dolphin at the, when we were kids in Florida and we went to that thing that has all the fish and the dolphin show and everything. And it felt like smooth, slick, uh, cool, you know, felt like that. Felt like rubbery dolphin skin. Yeah. Very rubbery, like a silicon. Or something like that. You know, like you go to the dollar store and you buy those silicon stretchy toys for kids. The Stretch Armstrong. My kids used to have one. They busted it all over the living room floor. Oh, no. Your your shag carpet must have been really hurt back then like my mother's was. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember having a Stretch Armstrong. Yeah. I had it until I was... I think 19 or 20 years old, and my buddy uh, had a few too many, and he's like, oh, let's see how far we can stretch this and rip the arm off. I was so Mm. upset with that, so upset. (laughs) But uh, ET contact is is something that, you know, for a lot of people is is a laughable subject. You know, we always hear the stories Mm. about people laughing at at, uh, the old Whitley Strieber Whitley Strieber anal probing. I mean, South Park is famous for doing their first ever episode uh, with Eric Cartman uh, being an abductee with the visitors, but that was loosely based on Whitley Strieber and and communion. I mean, this is a subject where it's easy to ridicule, except if you're the one being one who's actually being taken. How have you noticed a, a change in people regarding this subject as more people start to come out and get brave about talking about their own experiences. Well, I'll tell you is far sight different than it was 40 years ago. Um, it has a long way to go, but 40 years ago, you know, we had people come to the house and messing around out in the backyard before intruders was even written. So it really wasn't widely known, you know, mainstream known, And so one of the stipulations that we had with Bud and Bud agreed was that everything would be a pseudonym. All our names were pseudonym. Even the place was a pseudonym. Copley Woods does not exist. Uh, It's a pseudonym. And that was to to protect ourselves, you know, and to protect my kids. I didn't want my kids having to deal with the repercussions of the kid uh, uh, when they got older in school and finding out their mom, you know, had this experience and then get getting picked on. They also had strange things happen when they were little boys that they had no control over, you know, and we made it a rule not to talk about it around them because we didn't want their, we didn't want them to scare them anymore. And they were already scared. And if they ever wanted to explore this as adults, we didn't want to feel like they would be contaminated, you know, their subconscious by hearing things uh, around the house. So we just had a rule. We didn't talk about it where they could hear. But, um, you know, I would 
for years I went to work and nobody knew who I was or anything about this. Uh, and then uh, in the nineties, when I started talking more a little bit about it and we, my sister and I wrote our own book and used our real name, which I did because I felt like, okay, if I'm going to tell my story first person and I'm expect people to listen to me, if I'm not even going to use my real name, how can I expect people to believe anything I say? Not that I'm trying to make anybody believe anything you can believe it or not. Uh, I understand if you don't, that's fine. Uh, but I felt like I had to own it to, to really share it in my, my own words, you know, and, uh, people gradually figured it out and found out about it. And it really wasn't as bad as I thought it would be by then, by the late nineties, the black helicopters were flying around my store when I worked at the village pantry and the neighbors would actually call me and ask me if I was okay, you know, cause they see it flying around uh, to check on me. So the people who knew me and friends and family who knew me and our family and our situation were supportive. I was fortunate, more fortunate than most people like me because I did have the support of family and friends and employers, coworkers, you know, because they witnessed weird things. So they, and sometimes they had weird things happen to them after they hung around with us. So, you know, I was lucky now and now, you know, Right before I retired and people called me the UFO lady at work, um, an ancient aliens would come on and I'd, they'd be talking about the episode. I remember one time a guy said, do you believe in aliens? And he didn't know who I was. And I said, yeah, <laughs> like I didn't, you know, go into detail. I just said, heck yeah. And he starts telling me his experience and things he'd seen. And by the end of the break, the whole break room Everybody in the department in the break room that night was telling about all their weird stuff. And I was thinking in my, my mind, boy, this wouldn't have happened 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, you know, and now you can go to Walmart and buy T-shirts with aliens on them and everything's cool. They're all over TV. And yeah, it's really changed a lot. There's still quite a bit of stigma attached to reporting, especially for military and, uh, you know, pilots and whatnot. But I'm hopeful that that, maybe changing i would the i'm one of my goals with coming forward and talking and trying is to, to to help people to you know learn to live with this strange life and also to help get rid of the stigma so people feel more comfortable talking about it i realize that a lot of things i've reported over the years and told other people sound crazy i know that uh, and I made a comment to Angelina Joyner one time, you know, who wants to be famous for this? I, I, back in the day, that was certainly not the case, you know, but uh, it, it's it's changing. And hopefully the stigma as the stigma goes away, more and more people will speak out um, and uh, we'll start supporting each other. And then maybe we'll get some answers. We got two minutes to go here before we got to go to break. And you might have to finish this question afterwards. But with everything that's happening in the governmental side of UFOs that we have seen over the last few years, the one thing that really grinds my gears is it It seems that they don't want anything to do with the experience. They think it has everything to do with nuts and bolts and propulsion systems and, and gravitational forces 
and everything. They don't seem to understand, at least publicly, that there is way more to this phenomena than just whatever builds the craft. What is your thoughts on the way that this subject has really been pulled away from the experiencers, almost like we are, you know, infected with some sort of alien disease that isn't supposed to be talked about? I feel like they know somebody somewhere within those agencies knows. And I feel like that it's something that they can't control. So it's easier to make us just look crazy than to be able to, to, to have to admit that there's something going on with our citizenry that we have no control over. And, uh, you know, you see what, I'm, see what I mean? So I feel like that um, they do know, and I think that it, it's intentional, this, uh, pushing us off to the side. Hell, even back then, MUFON was all nuts and bolts back in the in the 80s, and they wouldn't even take my case when Bud tried to get them to take the case. And we had we had trace evidence. We had the mark in the yard that tested weird and all kinds of witnesses, and they wouldn't do it. They didn't want to touch it because of me and because of what I remembered seeing out there. Yeah. So, but that, that that's going to change. They know. I believe wholeheartedly they know. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Deb Jordan Cobble is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. We have her for another hour here on the show. We're talking ET Con. Start your future at Eastern Shipbuilding Group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability, increased wages, bonuses, with full benefits. Eastern Shipbuilding, located on the world's most beautiful beaches in Panama City, Florida, has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years. Now, hiring first-class ship fitters, welders, electricians, pipe fitters, and many more. Offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed $80,000 or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime. Apply at Eastern Shipbuilding. Building.com. Start your future at Eastern Shipbuilding Group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability, increased wages, bonuses, with full benefits. Eastern Shipbuilding, located on the world's most beautiful beaches in Panama City, Florida, has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years. Now, hiring first-class ship fitters, welders, electricians, pipe fitters, and many more. Offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed $80,000 or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime. Apply at Eastern Shipbuilding. Building.com. Contact. What is it like to all of a sudden have aliens show up? We'll take audience questions as well in hour number two if you're in one of our chat rooms or on Twitter at hashtag spaced out radio. A good first hour. It's going to lead to a good second hour talking everything to do with ET contact right here on the mighty SOR. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Let's see what Dirty Filth has for us here. What do you got for us, Filthy? We got Tic Tacs having blatant disregard for posted speed limits. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But you don't have a speed limit sign up there. Well, it's like Alberta highways. You just kind of... Oh, you just kind of go. as you're going. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I'll be right back. Uh, Deb, I'm going to put you in, in the green room here, so you just get stay comfy. 
And uh, Dirty, you can tell everybody about Vegas, about your book, about your calendar. My webbed feet, Dave. Yes, if you go to filthy.com, F-Y-L-T-H-Y.com, you can scoop my book, calendar. There's prints there. Currently working on my second book. That should be out hopefully in the summertime. Or you can come to Las Vegas, the Spaced Out Radio fan party, and I'll just be handing out cartoons to, to whoever can find me. Super Duke! promised oh excuse me promise Kira next time there will be a shark I actually mailed Dave a plushy shark one time just so he'd open it up and he probably screamed and then Mrs. S.O.R. was like what the hell's doing has anyone ever drew something for me no but I did trade Mark Sanchez drawing for some of his some of his, uh, they're stickers, but I have them up above my drawing station. So, publication process. Uh, Pixie, I use Kindle Direct Printing, and I actually have my pal, my web witch, uh, Fabala, does all the, all the fancy internet legwork and computer things. I'm fairly computer illiterate. I know where Minesweeper is and my email. That's about it. Oh, yeah, Mark Sanchez. Trade you cards when you get there, buddy boy. Ooh. We can definitely trade some art, Susie B, for sure. But definitely, uh, Kindle Direct is fairly easy to work with. So says my web witch. Nonetheless, though, if I could ever find an actual publisher to publish my next book, that'd be pretty cool. I just got to get it on the New York Times bestseller, and then I can go into work and tell my boss I'm only working half days in the afternoon. Yes, definitely I'm excited for Vegas again. I got this monstrous stack of art cards. And once again, I'll probably just end up handing some of them out to people. I'm even going to bring a couple of originals. I think I should probably do that. My dimensional self. I hope he's just as beautifully bald as I am, Kira. I save so much money by switching to bald on shampoo. Except sometimes I take some of Mrs. Mrs. Phil's shampoo and I'll put it on my dome anyways. My three little hairs that are on there. The body's just insane. It's just poof. I've definitely got way more art than last time. I might even bring a book. But definitely going to bring a couple original pieces. And swag bags are going to have a little art card in each of them as well. Cat hair. The octopus is kind of an inside joke between my pal and I. She once mentioned that she would rather fight an octopus 
and eat a veggie burger. So I drew a picture of her scrapping an octopus. And every once in a while, if there's a water drawing, I try to slip the octopus in there. And the inspiration for that was a character from an old Super Nintendo video game. It's not drawn the same. I don't got a lawyer to help me out with that kind of stuff. But Well, look, it's Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm tired. Are you? I had to go swimming today instead of yesterday. Well, why did you do that? Family day. Why did you, you guys don't get that till next month. No, uh, we're even now with you guys. We're even now with you guys. Oh. Well, we had family day yesterday. But I didn't oh, go swimming. Mind. Look at that fancy tumbler he's got there. It's fun, isn't it? You can get those at the store too, everybody. Yeah, you can. You totally can. Hey, who's coming to Vegas here? We know uh, Big Texas Nick is coming. Bigfoot uh, Rob is coming. We maybe have a Christine sighting. We know Kira's coming. Mark Sanchez is going to be there. And if you have emails that you are waiting to hear back from us, we're going to be working on that this week for our Vegas VIP party. Swag bags are going to be available. If you're a VIP, plus a very special night meeting all of our special guests and our Spaced Out Radio team on the Friday night, Saturday's the live YouTube show. We want to see all of you in Las Vegas, May 19th through 21st. Come join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. I look forward to it. Can't wait. Hopefully the snow stops falling by then. Okay, I'm going to jump in the chat room. Have a good night, Dave. Have a good night, Deb. All right. Thank you. Bye, Filthy. Here we go. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Here comes our number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for coming on in. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hi to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Echofine. Echofine is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It's all about aliens and ET contact tonight on The Mighty SOR. Our guest is author, researcher, experiencer, Deb Jordan-Cobble. And we're going to get right into it tonight. Deb, thank you so much for joining us. We greatly appreciate your time. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. And once again, people can get to see you at UFOCon 2023 in San Francisco, March 17th through 19th, where you'll be speaking. I'll be there as a Master of Ceremonies. And we'll have Science Bob there. We'll have Seth Talk, Melinda Leslie, Lorian Fenton, and many, many others. 
John Yost is going to be there. It's going to be absolutely great event that weekend. You can get your tickets at ufocon2023.com. And the one thing, that, Deb, about uh, ET experiencers is a lot of people are confused about what kind of experience they've had. Was it a good experience? Was it a bad experience? Was it odd? I mean, your experience, would what would you consider your experience as? Well, when I was younger, it was definitely traumatic and scary. Um, and like I said, I kind of, I have no proof, but I feel like the June 30, 83 experience affected me physically, you know, maybe messed with my eyes and stuff. Um, so that's definitely not good. But uh, later on, these at, when it changed and I started having these dreams and uh, a couple of other experiences that I had that I've I call dreams because like, you know what I mean? I'm not sure uh, because I was the only one there, uh, but they were more positive. Uh, So I don't know. Uh, I get asked a lot if you could have your life over again and not have any of the weird stuff, would you do it? And as scary and painful as some of it was, especially like I said in '83, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. That's not pleasant by any ma- by any means. Um, but no, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change. Start your future at Eastern Shipbuilding Group and begin a new career that offers long-term financial stability, increased wages, bonuses with full benefits. Eastern Shipbuilding, located on the world's most beautiful beaches in Panama City, Florida, has been committed to producing the highest quality vessels for our customers for over 40 years. Now hiring first-class ship fitters, welders, electricians, pipe fitters, and many more. Offering a relocation bonus and the potential to exceed $80,000 or more for most of our top craft positions with incentive bonuses and overtime. Apply at Eastern Ship change a thing because if it hadn't been for these things in my life wouldn't have unfolded the way they did and the, the life that I have now would be absolutely unrecognizable from what it is so but yeah I would say early on they were scary and and unpleasant and as time passed they changed are they changed and I changed. What do you mean they changed and you changed? Oh, ex- the experience changed. It it, would be, it was less physical and more uh, psychological or metaphysical. It went from physical to metaphysical, I guess, maybe. It's kind of hard to describe. Like I said, it started having more lucid dreams and... Uh, strange things like that right right did this start affecting the people around you your your late husband your children or was this just on you um what affected my whole family uh you know the kids and my parents living there it affected some of my friends and neighbors because they either witnessed things or they actually had things happen to them. Like one of the, the, the gal that uh, lived in the apartment above mine, 
when I first moved out from my parents after 83 and I got my own apartment with my kids, uh, the gal who lived above me, we became friends. And she meant, she told me one night that she woke up to little guys at the foot of her bed. Now they didn't look particularly like what I had. She's what she described to me were more like sounded more like trolls or something they had big hoods and things on them but they were standing at the, at the foot of her bed she said she never had any weird stuff like that happen till i moved in and one night she was awakened because the balcony the railing on her balcony started rattling really loudly and it kept doing it and she couldn't find a reason why it was what it was happening because she blamed it on me she called me up and said your friends were here last night i'm like what are you talking about so yeah the people around us were definitely affected by it um so the idea that that this is something that, you know, has changed your life. And you said that it would be something um, it would be something that you wouldn't change. Why wouldn't you change it? Because I look at it. I lived a very happily boring life up until the point of the, the, these experiences. And, you know, I do regret having them at times because I lost a lot of my best friends I changed my location. Uh, I never felt uh, trustworthy of of a lot of people after that. I mean, there was there was a lot going on back then that I just couldn't explain. And p- my my closest peers and the people who I thought cared about me really really couldn't handle this big change in myself. So I would go back in a heartbeat. I really mm-hmm. would. I liked that life, but for you, you wouldn't change it. No. And, you know, I, that's why I said I feel I've always said I felt fortunate because most people didn't have the support that I had, you, you know, um, and I had stuff happening to me from a very early age. I grew up thinking this was normal. I did not know that strange things didn't happen to other people. I didn't even know they were strange. The things that, uh, you know, like when my sister came home and said this big UFO was over her car and lifted her whole car up out of the parking lot of the church after she took mom to bingo. This is back in 1965. I just thought that sort of stuff happened to everybody. I didn't know that it wasn't normal. And um, so I kind of grew up with it. So I didn't, I don't really know what a, a, a normal life is, I guess. Uh, to, this was normal to me. I didn't know any different. And um, yeah, so like if June 30, 83, which was probably my scariest and most traumatic event, didn't happen. I wouldn't have met Bud, which meant I wouldn't have met my late husband, which meant I wouldn't have met the husband I have now, which meant my kids wouldn't have gone to school where they had my son wouldn't have met his wife. My granddaughter wouldn't have been born. I mean, everything is like a domino and just all connected. Every little thing, every little moment in my life has been weaved into this tapestry of what I have now and what I am now. And I'm happy with who I am and I'm happy with my life. So, I mean, you know, nothing, like I said, would be recognizable to me if I had not had that life that I started out with. So 
I mean, everybody's different. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about my, you know, experiences publicly and own them was so that I could give some support and uh, comfort and, you know, lend credence to other people who had the experiences like I've had to, to support them and say, hey, yeah, they I've had that too, you know. I wanted to be able to do that and give back because I have been fortunate and not typical of somebody that's had the experiences. And I know that, and I'm thankful for that, you know. Well, I, I get you. And and I can understand that you're, you're more of a lifelong contactee. See, my experiences didn't happen until I was 38 years old. You yeah, know, that'd be rough. Yeah. So, you know, you're already established in life and trying to figure things out, you know, and plan your mm-hmm. future. And then all of a sudden everything goes haywire. Let's get to a couple yeah. of audience questions here. Let's start with Jules here. Deborah, I know your experiences started near Indy, but what kind of phenomenon have you experienced after moving to Kokomo? And she goes on to say, I am from Marion, India, Indiana, and a fellow yeah. experiencer. I've interviewed you before, so hi. Hi. Um, in Kokomo, once I moved up here, um, we had a lot of paranormal activity in the old farmhouse that I moved into the balls of light whizzing through the house and around people's heads and out the back. And um, then of course the orange balls of light that happened around here in 2007, 2008, that were massive. We called them O balls and MUFON orange balls of light that appeared and then culminated in the Kokomo boom, which made the national news. It was around the same time as the Stevensville sightings and uh, I was actually a witness to the boom and then later assigned to the case by MUFON. So, and uh, so that was interesting. We were on the ground. I was on the ground the next morning at 6 a.m. out driving around. Uh, all kinds of strange things happened. But I had witnessed the, the orange balls of light and I saw the jets fly in. We're, we're 18 miles uh, south of Grissom Air Force Base and the MOA is just west of us, west of town between Kokomo and Lafayette, Indiana, where they do training and stuff. And uh, all these, this activity where this alleged plane crash that didn't happen and the explosion that rocked multiple counties, you know, that night um, happened in this MOA area. So, uh, but so yeah, I've had, experience with the Kokomo boom being as a witness. I heard the explosion. I saw the flash of light. My house shook. Uh, I had been out earlier trying to record the orange balls of light with my camcorder that night, feeling that something was going to happen and I knew it and I was going to miss it if I went inside to pee. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, I finally gave up and went inside 1030 at night. I'm sitting in my office and that's when the boom happened. And that was, uh, you can Google Kokomo Boom on Google and you'll, it's a big, whole long thing, uh, but it's very fascinating. And then right after I first moved to Kokomo, when my, uh, moved in with my late husband before we got married and we had a roommate, Jean and her daughter were living with us. It was the, either the week before or the week after I had the surgery for a hysterectomy, they, uh, we saw, uh, 
some flashing lights outside and we went outside and we could hear a beeping by the barn and the cows were mooing. And I ran out to the end of the driveway and I saw what I thought was a deer, a tall skinny deer, like head on walking towards me. And on the video recording, you can't see anything, but you can hear my, my friend's daughter go, mommy, what's that in the road walking towards us? And then everybody screaming and then there's nothing silence. So, uh, and the tape is over. So, yeah, there's been some strange things in Kokomo. Kokomo actually is quite a little hot spot in the Midwest for UFO activity and other paranormal activity. We have something here called the Kokomo Hum, which has been talked about on various television shows. And they don't seem to know where it comes from, but it's like a real, and I've heard it, it sounds like a, a semi parked out in front of your house in idle mode but you know or a little bit farther away maybe but you can feel it in your chest and nobody knows where that's coming from so so yeah there's been a few things since since i've moved up here (laughs) yeah i i can uh i can see that and, and feel that let's get over to doug here who is asking you deborah do you have any hard feelings Hate them even for what they, the aliens, have put you through. Personally, I wouldn't blame you if you did. Um, when I was younger, yeah, I'm. I did. I I was angry. I, I was angry, and I felt you know, like you didn't ask me for this, and I didn't ask for this. And then here I'm thrust into it. And I didn't ask for this. I didn't go out looking for this. It fell on top of my head. You know, or I was born into it almost. And I didn't ask to be here, you know. So, yeah, I did. I did have those feelings. But I, as I got older, I began to realize that, you know, those feelings weren't going to hurt anybody but me. So I needed to deal with them. And I did. You are a multiple experiencer of the paranormal, the cryptid world and the UFO extraterrestrial world. Do you have a preference? (laughs) Well, I actually am quite fond of uh, capturing EVPs. I've, I've had a fascination for that years and years ago. And I've caught some really good ones in the course of our investigation. And what I really love was when I would catch a UFO, you know, like I said, I think the, some of the EVPs that I've captured never lived here and aren't ghosts or dead people. I think there's something somewhere else that I've just managed to capture, uh, be at the right place at the right time or whatever. Uh, but there's been occasion when I have done private investigations for people and we've caught EVPs and then the family has positively identified the voice as being that of, you know, Aunt Hazel or whatever, and are really emotional about it and, and happy to hear them. It gives them some kind of peace of mind and some closure. And I love that. So, you know, I like that part. Let's get to another question here from our audience. And this comes from Nancy. Did it give you relief when you were finally able to talk about what's going on in your life? 
at first it was really hard. And I just, I felt like every time I opened my mouth, I sounded crazy and stupid and it was embarrassing and I was mortified, but I couldn't stop. You know, I it felt like I, I had to purge it out of me, you know, and uh, as time went on, I did feel better that I got it out, you know, um, but it took, it took a little while. Did you have support from your family, your sister, who is also an experiencer with you? Did you have support from them when you went public? Yes. Uh, it was something that we talked about before it even happened. We, I, Because, like I said, we were none of us interested in a book or anything like that. We, we just wanted some answers. And and uh, uh, so it was kind of a whole big family discussion that we decided, uh, you know, if we were going to do this or not. And I ended up like kind of being the spokesperson. I got blamed because I'm the one who wrote the letter. So I'm the one that had to be the spokesperson. But, you know. Um, it was a family decision to do that, not just going out looking for it. What do you, or let me rephrase that. Where do you think, Deb, the answers are to the experiencer? Does it sit with the aliens? Does it sit within ourselves? Is it consciousness? Is it something that we're not supposed to know until we die and then, that's when we get all the answers to the questions we were left with down here. Where do you think the answers lie? Um, I think that the answers are a little bit of all of that. And I think that the answers are different for everybody, for your experience. Because I think everybody's experience is uniquely their own, even if it seems similar to other people's. Uh, you're you're unique, so you're you're the unique part of the experience, and I think that you know the answers could come from uh, any one of those things you just mentioned. I even alien, extraterrestrial, uh, or life. I think there's lots of different kinds with lots of different agendas. Some maybe not so nice, and some maybe not so bad. You know, just like there's how how many humans with different agendas right here on this planet, you know? Very true. Very true. Do you think, though, that there is an earthly answer to this or a human answer to this? Um, in some cases, probably. There probably it probably is. There probably is in some cases. And where do you think those are? Well, I don't know. Um it just maybe like people that have had experiences and they think it's been one thing for a long time and it, it turns out it was not, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like that different, everybody's, every case has the potential to be um, any number of things. It just, you know, I mean, and maybe we'll find out and maybe we won't maybe we'll get answers for what happened like maybe we'll maybe there's an answer out there somewhere for what happened to me in 83 and what left the mark in the yard and all the other stuff hasn't come in 40 years but that doesn't mean it's not out there somewhere but you know will i find it in my life i don't know is it extraterrestrial was it extra dimensional i that i I don't know 
You know, it'd be nice to know before I die. Uh, I don't know if I will or not. Do you think time travel is involved? I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I've always felt like time travel happens. I, I don't know why. I've just always felt really drawn to that. So it could be. I mean, these guys, some of these maybe are us, you know, 50,000 years in the future coming back, trying to fix some stuff we messed up here. I don't know if I was a time traveler and I could go back in time and fix some things I, I know I'd like to. So one minute to go here before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour. You know, if there was something you could ask your ET contact uh, about, what would it be? I'd want to ask them, do they die and is death what it looks like or is it something else? You know, do they have a God? I'd ask them stuff like that. That's interesting. That's interesting. I I would just like to know why I can't go fly the ship. <laughs> That's what I want. I just want to fly mm-hmm. the ship. You know, I mean, it can't be that bad. I mean, I'm a good guy. Mm-hmm. I, I deserve to fly it. I really do. Deb, I'm going to get you to hold on as we have our guest tonight, Deborah Jordan-Cobble, author, researcher, experiencer. We have her until the top of the hour here on Spaced Out Radio. We're going to get to more of your questions when we return. All about alien contact tonight. What's it all about? What's happening with it? Why are they here? We'll find out. It's the second half of Spaced Out Radio starts right after this. Mm. We're almost done. Yeah. I feel like I talk too much. No, you're doing great. <laughs> too fast. That doesn't sound good. What's that? The power outages, sirens everywhere, crazy windy night, and social going to have to catch up tomorrow. All right. That's our man, Obi Flett. I thought you were in Nevada there, Obi, not SoCal. Oh, well. He'll be at our Vegas party. Yay. Let's see here. Travis Willier, how are you, buddy? Uh, okay, we got a few more questions here lined up for you for the next half hour. Okay, I like questions. I don't always have a lot of answers, but when someone gives me a question, then I feel like they're getting then I'm able to at least, you know, give him my thought on it. And it, uh, uh, <laughs> just give him my thoughts, you know, so it helps me focus a little better. And mm-hmm. I got six, I got, uh, I got a lot of years worth of stuff in this head here. And it's hard to. Penny Van, Penny Van is asking, Deb, if the ETs gave you, did they give you a youth serum? Because there's no way you're over 45 or so. <laughs> no, I am. I'm no, I wish <clears throat> I, I don't know why I, I don't, I'm old. <laughs> I, don't, 
I just photograph, I guess. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm one of these guys who, one of these people who never takes a good picture. Yeah. I usually don't, but I mean, video, I don't know. But I appreciate that's very kind. Thank you. Yes, the wind is everywhere right now on the West Coast. Right up and down the continent. It's actually really been windy here, and it's supposed to. We got a wind warning for tomorrow with winds of 40 miles an hour or plus. It's a good thing I don't worry much about combing my hair. (laughs) I know that feeling. I have enough product in my hair where it's like cement. I just don't have much hair left anymore. I just put a ball cap on and be on my way. It's all that's necessary. (laughs) All that's necessary. Our weather's been pretty bizarre. It'd be like 60 degrees one day and then, you know, 25 the next. And it's like, welcome to Indiana. We don't have any snow on the ground right now, so that's good. Uh... I wish I could say that. Yeah, I know. I heard you say you got like three feet. I do. You know, I like snow. I'm okay with it because the more it snows now, the less chance I'm going to be breathing in forest fire smoke in the summer. Mm -hmm. More moisture. I, I I'm built for winter weather. I don't know. I'm just, I've always liked it cold rather than hot. I'm not a beach girl. I like the mountains. I like snow. I like skiing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I'm good with snow, which makes everyone around me here hate me because they blame me every time we get snow. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's so pretty to look at. Yes. I like driving in it. I do. I don't mind driving it. I just don't like driving on ice or in fog where I can't see. But snow don't bother me. I got a four-wheel drive SUV, so I'm good to go. Got you. <laughs> yep. I'm uh, at my area. You got to have four by four. Yeah. Most people up here even do. Have of course, have we have four. Chrysler and four Chrysler and GM plants up here. So everybody's got <laughs> Dodge Ram trucks and jeeps and stuff like that so oh i hear you there i hear you there up here it's uh uh i'll tell you everybody's got a four by four you can you can tell the what we call the lower mainlanders the people who moved up from vancouver because they're all still driving like two-wheel drive cars and those real low ones to the grounds that look pretty. No, they've given <laughs> up that due to the amount of rocks on the road up here, you know, yeah. but um, yeah. Uh, big thank you to Zen too, Derek, Deb, and Thomas for the amazing super chats tonight. The super chat is a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So thank you so much. Here we go with the next half hour, everyone.
We pass the halfway point of Space Down Radio tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Final time tonight, we introduce Deb Jordan Cobble. She's a lifelong experiencer. She is somebody who has researched the UFO and extraterrestrial phenomena. She is an author as well. We got her till the top of the hour here. Deb, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I got a bunch of audience questions for you, if you don't mind. Nope. Uh, let's get right to them. Let's go to Thomas. Is there a spiritual or metaphysical component to your experiences? Um. The early ones, not so much that I was aware of, but as I've gotten older, it, it seems to be uh, that is the case. There's been a few uh, lucid dreams that I've had. Like I said, I feel like the lucid dreaming is a component of contact for me from somewhere. And in those dreams, there have been uh, like a learning experience, you know, um, with feelings and compassion towards other living things and stuff. So there is a metaphysical component to my newer experiences, you know, as I've gotten older. Excellent. All right. Let's continue on here. Let's go to Gloria. How did you manage to improve your health after your encounter? (laughs) I have good doctors and I still have, I still deal with things. Um, even now that I have to wonder our uh, residual from 1983, you know, so uh, my health is good for someone my age, but I do have issues that I'm dealing with. And, you know, with the eyes, I had to have my lenses replaced and I'm under treatment for macular degeneration. I go to the doctor every six months. I got to take all the lutein and all this stuff and they monitor me. So it's improved. I also improved my health by uh, losing weight. I lost about a hundred pounds and uh, it exercise and, and eat right and drink more water and get more sleep. Just all the regular things you should do to improve your health that I was kind of lazy about doing when I was younger. So. Yeah, I have that issue. I'm trying to lose <laughs> weight right now. I, don't I know. still need to lose more, but I've, I've done a lot better than I used to be. So it ain't easy. I hear you there. I hear you there. Did the extraterrestrials ever talk to you about health, humanity, or anything along those lines? You know, I remember having a dream or a conversation with them or it was in a dream came to me and my older sister had the same one years before, but we didn't talk about it. So we didn't realize we'd both done it. But I I had a thought in my head one time that if I ever got terminally ill, like something really, really bad that was going to kill me, that all I had to do was go out somewhere 
alone out, like out in a far field or something somewhere and lay down and go to sleep. And when I wake up, I would be okay. Uh, I don't know why, you know, I, I don't know what would happen to me then. And I've never done that. But uh, I did have that thought in my head one time. And my sister had pretty much the same thing. She said that the those mantis type told her that, that they would, uh, you know, take care of her that way. Now, I don't, she's still with us. She's 75 years old now, but she does have dementia. She does, uh, you know, is in a nursing home and stuff. But so I don't know how well that works, but that's what we had those thoughts. Yeah. All right, let's go over to Travis from Edmonton. What was one of your favorite places the extraterrestrials showed you? For me, it was their crystal room. Uh, I remember being in a place that uh, looked like a giant hangar-like, but, you know... it, it. it kind of reminded me of uh, like a great big airport, but inside somewhere. And there were vehicles and there were people milling around everywhere. And some of them were kind of strange looking, but I always thought it was a cool place. I liked that. And um, I, I had, I remember a dream about a, a city that was made out of crystal you know, all the buildings look like crystals. But uh, I think that was just a dream. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that is... It's uh, hard telling. What color was the crystal building? Pink. Pink. Hmm. Or, you know, like pinkish rose, rosy pink. Shout out to Dev Rugney, who says, I'll see you both in March at UFOCon. Yes, you will. Yes, you will, Dev. Yeah. Yes, you will. Okay, let's let's move on to another question here from Pink Volo. Speaking of pink, with all the UFO controversy, you are living proof. Where do you feel the disconnect is? Like, government-wise, that... I mean, yes. there's lots of people like me out there. There's thousands and thousands of people just in this country alone that are just like me and have sometimes even more bigger experiences than I have. But like I said before, that you know, governments like to control things and control people and situations, and this is something they can't control. So therefore, I think they just like to, they don't want to acknowledge us uh, they don't want to look at, I still have soil samples from June 30th, 1983. You know how hard it's been for me to get anybody to look at them. Bud had them, Bud had them done, uh, you know, looked at and the, his, the result of that, what little they could do it back in 83, you know, is in the book intruders. And I still have chunks of it that I've saved and nobody cares. Nobody even wants to see it. So, uh, I think it's just they, they, if they can't control it or you, then they, uh, they just want to keep you in the shadows and keep you looking crazy so no one else will listen to you. 
Very true. Very true. And do you think the government knows more than what they are giving up in regards oh, to yeah. do you think they've had like the let's take the United States government here for a second. Do you think that they have had ET contact themselves? And they're just playing stupid with the rest of the world. Well, I think many governments in the world, not just the United States, but I think other ones as well have, yeah, have had contact. I, I believe that, you know, I could be wrong, but uh, based on what I've seen in the last 40 years, what I've read and what I know personally, I, I believe that's true. Do you think- I also believe that, that, that they also, I also believe that they have, uh, they know um, about the different uh, realities. You know, remember I said, I, feel some of my contact was extra dimensional instead of extraterrestrial. I believe that there's some part of the government that knows that, that, that is messing around and doing stuff with that right now. And probably time travel too. Why would they tell us? They're not going to tell us about any of that. Do you think they know about the people who are being abducted? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure they do. Some of them, not all of them, because I think there's just a lot. <laughs> but I think they know of some of them. All right, let's continue on here as we'll go to a question from Ryan here. Do you think they, the aliens, will not let us fly their ships because of how reckless we are as a species? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We are pretty reckless, but, I mean, I wouldn't let none of you drive my car. I won't even let my own kids drive my car. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, you know, it's funny. You, you've mentioned about flying ships, too. My friend and I both had these dreams that the ships were actually part of the pilot. And in order to fly one, you had to like be one with the ship. And I always tease my kids when I drive like a maniac and turn corners real fast and they go flying around everywhere. I'm saying, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm one with my car and I don't sense other people in here. (laughs) So maybe you can't fly because you have to learn how to become one with the ship. And then the ship, you just think it to fly and it does whatever you think. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you, you say that because uh, a few years ago, locally where I live, I actually met a young a young lady. She was 12 years old and her mother had come to me and said, hey, is there any way you can help my daughter? She's having a real tough time with, with some experiences. And the more I talked to her, the more I realized that she was actually a contactee and at 12 years old she had actually flown a ship and i asked her i said well what's that like you know what is it what does it feel like and in her best 12 year old way she was like i don't know she goes it's just you go in there and you sit down and you just know what to do and it comes from your head i said well where did you go she goes, anywhere I want. And I was just like, oh, I'm so jealous of you. So jealous. <laughs> you know? But That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I would love to, love to have that experience. I'm still waiting for the UFO to land in my backyard and, you know, open up the door and 
say, come on, Dave, let's go for a ride. Hmm. It's what I want. I don't know if I'll get it, but it's what I want. Let's go to Candy. Deb, do you think there is a connection between the missing 411 cases and UFOs and aliens? Uh, uh, what is, I've heard of the missing 411, but can you refresh my well, memory? On yeah, that? a former police officer, David Politis, with Can-Am Missing, uh, is the one who puts together the missing 411 cases where people just seem to vanish out of high strangeness, never to be seen again. Oh, well, I, I think that some of them might be, you know, could possibly be, you know, they fell, got injured, and then got ate by a wild animal or something, and you're not ever going to see them again, but and sadly. But, uh, yeah, I think that some of that is possible. I don't know why I could, you know, why I wouldn't think it was possible. Um Reminds me of the 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 scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when the big mothership opens up and all these people come out of it that have been missing for so many years, you know. That uh, yeah, I don't know why not. Uh, I I'm fascinated with cases also where people seem like they step into a time warp. They like they're driving down the road and all of a sudden they encounter this town that's like back in the '40s, you know, and all the people are dressed like that and. And then when they drive away, they're back in, you know, current present time. Yeah, maybe the person in the car that drove and encountered the 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 old town in the '40s was missing, <laughs> you know, to other people, but didn't realize it. So I don't know. Could be. I I think there is a connection. I yeah, do. I and be. I think that, you know, I think more so. Than UFOs and aliens, I think that a lot of these people have just walked through a portal in time where nothing has changed for them, but mm -hmm. on our dimension, they're now gone. That's what I think. Sometimes I feel like I woke up in a different timeline. <laughs> you know, I went to bed one way and woke up and things were just slightly off. <laughs> oh, who had? I've had that too. I've had that too. Kind of makes you. And it wonder. had nothing to do with wine. <laughs> sure, Deb. Sure, it didn't. <laughs> I'm... All right, let's go to another question here. Let's go to Sovereign. How do you discern between good dreams and implanted false screen dreams? It's very. It's hard, and sometimes I don't know for sure. And so I always specify when I tell somebody something, I'm not sure. Because sometimes I can't tell. It's hard. Do you find that you remember your dreams a little bit more when you have encounters? Uh, yeah. A false image like when we in 92, when I thought I saw a deer walking towards me, you know, dead straight on a deer. So it had a big head and a skinny body. It, sometimes I wonder, did I actually see a deer or was it something else? And that was just 
an image that was put in my mind so that I wouldn't be scared. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that was, that was your own protection that was doing that? Or do you think it was actually, uh, you know, something manifest external or, or external? Yeah. yeah. Um, it could be, I, I know how powerful the human mind is. I was told the story when I, when my husband killed himself and I was there watching him do it with the sheriffs, uh, I swore up and down. I didn't hear the gunshot, but I was standing right in front of him. There was no way I didn't hear the shotgun, but your mind protects you from something that is too traumatic for you to deal with. So the human mind is powerful. It was three or four months before I remembered everything in that incident. Uh, and it, it was all confirmed by the sheriff deputies who were all out there with me. So it wasn't like I was by myself. But that's how powerful your mind can be when it's trying to protect you. So it's hard to say whether those screen memories come from you protect, protecting you from something that just absolutely you can't fathom, an alien standing in front of you, or if it's done by them in an attempt to make you feel more comfortable. It's impossible to tell. For me, it would be impossible to tell the difference. Right. Knowing how powerful my mind is. Right. Do you look at the idea of, or let me re-ask this for you. If you were to encounter your alien friends once again, how do you think you would react now comparatively to when you were a child when this happened? Now, and I've we I've had this discussion with friends. Um, I would be initially shocked just because it's not something you see every day, you know. Just like uh, I would be shocked if uh, I looked out my window and saw a bear. Which I'd be really shocked because we don't have them here, but you know. But the fear and terror that I encountered, what that I had within me when I was young. I, I don't believe that I would have that now. I feel like I'm ready that I would be shocked, but then I'd be like, hey, you know, why are you here? What's going on? I, I don't feel I would have the terror that I had when I was younger. So UFO lands in your yard and Auk and Flick, the little gray dudes, get out and say, hey, Deb, do you want to come for a ride? Are you going? Yep. And yeah, what, I'd go. And what if they don't bring you back? That's depends on where they take me. I might like it better there. <laughs> I don't know. This world is kind of messed up. I saw a meme the other day that said I'd consider an abduction a rescue operation now. <laughs> oh my! So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I would go if they don't bring me back. Then they don't bring me back. Then I'm going somewhere else. Let's go to Bones here. Earlier on, when you were talking about. The hangar moving through uh, the hangar. Was it moving through space? Was there a transfer ship? I don't know where it was. I don't know how I got there, and I don't know how I left there. I just know I stepped out of something into this giant room, this giant, it was like baseball field sizes uh, with all these different kinds of vehicles in them, uh, flying, you know, like, Airplanes, flying things, you know, wheels, uh, like cars and trucks and stuff, all inside, and then people moving around everywhere. 
but I don't know where it was. So I don't know if it was moving through space and I don't, I don't know what you mean by transfer ship. What I got off of some kind of a flying, like an airplane and stepped into it. It was already in there. So, but I don't remember how I got in there. I don't, so I don't know. Finally, final question for you from our audience tonight from Tony in the UK. What are your thoughts about these MyLab scenario abductions? Have you studied those? I actually have, and I there's a possibility I may have had an experience like that. Uh, in the late 80s, uh, when I was still living at the Copley Woods area, and it was um, after June 30, 83, and it might have been after... Or, during the time intruders was written. Um, and uh, I had a kind of an unusual experience with the man who kind of really pursued me relentlessly till I gave in. And then I agreed to go to his uh, place in Southern Indiana for the weekend. And the weekend ended up being, he brought me back the next day after some weird stuff happened uh, when we arrived at his place and then, uh, and I had remembered being taken uh, out of his car and taken somewhere where I couldn't see. And I could feel like I was going down. And then when I could see again, I was surrounded by guys in orange outfits, humans, taken into this huge room. It looked like a big hospital hallway with glass that had wires through it. And they, put a card in the door and the door slid open, took me in a room. Then I realized that there were glass walls in this giant room and there were other tables in this giant room. And I was just on one, but I didn't see other people. And then this doctor came in and he was, he, he had a real deep Southern draw and he had, he was older. He's had white hair and it ruddy face, kind of reddish and at one point, he takes something out of my ear and shows it to me. He said, looky there, you had a bug in your ear. And I said, uh, and he goes, I don't know why I'm even showing you this. You're not going to remember any of it. And I said, oh, yes, I will. And then, bam, next thing I know, I'm waking up in this guy's living room. And he's panic stricken. And he basically drives me home and drops me off. And I feel sick, physically sick for a couple of days afterwards. So, yeah, but this was all human beings and this experience happened. Bud tried to find this guy after, um, and he talked to the girl who introduced me to him uh, when he came uh, on one of his visits. And, but he was the, the man quit his job at a big factory in Indianapolis and left town. So wow. we don't know what that was, but could have possibly been this something um, my lab. Dem, I want to say I want to say thank you for coming on Spaced Out Radio tonight. It's been a an absolute pleasure to have you back on this show. It had been a while, but it's good to have you back. And I cannot wait to meet you at UFOCon twenty twenty three in San Francisco next month. Yep, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Deb Jordan Cobble, everybody, experiencer, author, find her books on Amazon. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller will take us on another spooky journey. Then Super Duke, 
from World Bigfoot Radio gets into some Bigfoot stories with the Cryptid Report. Lots of spaced out radio right after this. Stay tuned. Great show, Deb. Great show. I'll give you a few claps. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. It was fun. I appreciate it. I appreciate you inviting me, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to meet you in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I will see you next month. We'll let you get some sleep, and uh, you you take care, my friend. You too. Thank you. All right. Good night. Stay warm. I'll try. Bye. Good night. Deb Cobble, everybody. That was a good show. Solid show. I will be right back. You guys sit tight. Promise you I'll be right back for hour number three. 240 watching. Don't leave. Okay, and if you haven't already, give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Hit subscribe as well if you don't mind. We'll be right back.
right. I am back. That was a fun show. Fun show. Once again, if you have emailed us at info at spacedoutradio.com regarding tickets for the second annual SOR fan party in Las Vegas at the Golden Nugget, we will be getting them to you soon. Uh, VIP tickets will, are, will stay on sale until April 1st. That will get you into a private party on the Friday night with all of our guests. That will get you into the show as well, as well as a big swag bag that we're going to be doing for you. And yeah, once the VIP tickets are sold, we know how many people we have with VIP tickets. Then we will be issuing the tickets for those. Regular tickets are just 60 bucks. VIPs are 100 And it's going to be a great weekend in Las Vegas. We want to see you all there. We had a great time last year. We want to do it all again. You're going to be able to meet some really, really cool people. Merle is coming down. We got Random Guy who's going to be there. Tim Senor, our entire Spaced Out Radio team is going to be there. We have uh, Lorian Fenton, Melinda Leslie, Misha Johnson, Science Bob. Carter Bouchard is going to talk some Bigfoot uh, from Hoodoo Tall. We got Damian Jay and Jurgen Hess. They're going to be uh, back with us. And we got just a, a great, great lineup. Many more. Jim Goodall and Michael Schratt are going to be there. And, uh, yeah, random guy will sign autographs. However, do not make eye contact. He does not like eye contact. But he will sign in red Sharpie only. Red Sharpie only. Uh, Susie B., what does that get us? I don't know. Here we go with hour three. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Here we go with third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hi to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Echofine. Echofine is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is that time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. 
Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. I've spent my whole life tending to my farm which has always been peaceful and simple. But in recent days, things have taken a sinister turn. It all started with my cattle vanishing, one by one, leaving no clues as to what could have been happening to them. I searched the fields, the forest, and even the nearby towns, but there was no sign of them, and no sign that they were being stolen or anything like that. You know, at first I really did think it must have been the work of some wild animals, but I couldn't find any tracks or signs of struggle. It was as if they had been plucked from the earth and taken away. Every day I became more and more on edge, if I'm honest, never knowing when the next cow would disappear. Then, strange things started happening at night around my home. I would hear strange noises from the barn, and when I would go to investigate, there would never be anything there. But I couldn't shake the feeling that something was always watching me. Something dark. Something evil. It all came to a head one night when I was doing my nightly check on the cattle. I heard a low growling sound coming from the darkness, and my heart leapt into my throat. I knew it wasn't an animal. No wild animal I have ever seen could sound like this. The sound was too deep, too ominous. And then I saw it. A massive figure appeared from the shadows, its eyes glowing like molten fire. It was unlike anything I had ever seen. A hulking beast covered in matted fur with teeth as long as my fingers. It snarled at me and I I damn near froze in terror. I knew then that I was no match for this creature. I began to run back to my house as fast as I could but I could hear it following me close behind. Its growls growing louder and more ferocious with every passing moment. I locked myself inside my house and prayed for safety. But deep down, I knew this was only the beginning. This creature wanted something from me and I didn't know if I could escape its wrath. As the sun began to rise, I knew I would have to confront it, face my fears, and find a way to protect my farm and my life. But for now, I could only wait and hope that I would make it through the night alive. I haven't experienced it in quite a few nights now, so I don't know if it's gone or if it's just planning to come back. I'd love to know any advice in the comments. I had always loved the quiet solitude of rural life. So when I inherited my grandparents' old farm home, I thought I had found my paradise. But little did I know that the peace and tranquility I craved would soon become a nightmare. It started with little things at first. I could easily brush off as coincidences or forgetfulness. Doors I had closed would be found open. Objects that I had left in one place would be moved to another. And strange noises would come from the walls at night. I tried to convince myself that it was just my imagination, but as the days went by, the disturbances became more frequent and uh, violent. One night, I was awakened by the sound of shattering glass. I got up to investigate and found a vase on a shelf had been hurled across the room, smashing against the wall. I was alone in the house, so no one else could have done it. The thought of something evil living in my home sent chills down my spine. The disturbances continued with increasing frequency and intensity. Furniture would move by itself, doors would slam shut, and I could hear disembodied voices whispering in my ear. 
I felt like I was being watched constantly, and I never let my guard down at all. One night, as I was lying in bed, I felt a cold breath on the back of my neck. I turned around, but no one was there. Suddenly, the bed shook violently, and I was thrown to the floor. I could hear laughter, but no one else was in the room with me at the time. The poltergeist attack continued to escalate, though. Knives would fly out of the counter. Plates would smash against the wall, and chairs would move all around the house. The house was filled with oppressive evil energy that seemed to grow stronger every single day. One night, I was awoken by footsteps coming from the hallway. I grabbed a flashlight and investigated, but no one was there. Suddenly, I was rushed by a cold, clammy sensation. Something felt like it grabbed my ankle and was trying to drag me, and I fell to the ground. I could see a shadowy figure standing over me, and I knew it had to be this poltergeist. I knew I had to leave this house, but the poltergeist would block my path every time I tried to escape. I was seemingly trapped with the evil entity that had taken over my home. Ultimately, I was forced to call in a team of paranormal investigators, and they confirmed my worst fears. A violent poltergeist infested my home. But with their help and many different ceremonies and banishing things, we eventually got the entity out of the house. But the memory of those long nights in that rural farm home will haunt me forever. And that's why we love the Swamp Dweller coming in to kick off hour number three each and every night here on Spaced Out Radio. You can listen to more stories like that. Just go over to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads, and you can listen to thousands of stories just like that for free. From the swamp to the forest of Montana, it is time once again for the man, the myth, the legend, Super Duke. Duke for World Bigfoot Radio. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. And I tell you what, when you get them poultry geese in your house like that, you club with your shillelagh, duct tape them little suckers together, drag them out in the yard, throw them out there and say, hey, you probe happy saucer jockeys, you want something to probe? Here's some poultry geese for you. And that's how you get rid of them. Oh, my. I was not expecting that. Holy cow, that is quite the intro tonight. Wow. It was a great sound bite for you, Dave. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. How to, Duke's official advice on how to deal with poultry geese when they're investigating your house. <laughs> yes, poultry geese. Always in trouble when they are knocking the vases over in the middle of the night. Damn poultry geese, get out. You got that right. I don't know about your place, man, but I've got three feet of snow outside, and it, the snow is still falling, going to be falling again for another couple of days here. I mean, this is, uh, hey, I'm, I'm not complaining. I am not complaining, but it's going to be a while before I get to my Bigfoot site, man. Yeah. Uh, our weather here has been really weird because we had temps in the, uh mid to upper 30s for about a week so it melted up all the snow and then at the beginning of this storm coming through 
the temperature went up. So last night we were getting this titanic rainstorm. Just think of like big rainstorm in the summer rainstorm, beating on the walls, hauling wind, and you're like, it's freaking February. Oh, then this morning it figured out what month it was. The temperature dropped, and we had a blizzard all day today. <laughs> but you know oh, what? God. You're in a forest area. I'm in a forest area. It all helps, man, to keep those forests wet during the summer. Yeah, we absolutely need that. And that's this area. We have five seasons every year. We have a fire season annually. So the more actual uh, precipitation we get, uh, the better that helps with things. Of course, you can overdo it, too. If we get too much in the spring, then all the grass goes, oh, I'm going to grow nice and tall, and then it doesn't rain for three months. And you got this bumper crop of, you know, fire fodder everywhere for any lone stray spark to fall on and create a raging conflagration and take down 20,000 acres. You know, back in 2017, when we had the horrid fire, fire, uh, uh, forest fires here, uh, they actually, first time in my life, I, I'd actually heard that they did not want you mowing the lawn because they were too fearful of you know you your blade hits a the blades hit a rock and it throws a spark yep yep (laughs) yeah that's pretty bad when it's that bad everything that you walk on is crunching because there's no moisture in anything it's all like straw it's all crunch 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 oh yeah the the type of grass that you know if you walk on it barefoot it's like walking on lego Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually hurts your feet because everything's pointy and solid and doesn't bend at all. <laughs> yeah, no, not a good time to go barefoot. Well, I'll tell you what, even though the weather sucks, other things are going fairly well. And uh, I got some news about uh, a guest I've been trying to get on my show for years and years and years and years. And the additional good news is I also have them talked into coming on to your show afterwards, Dave. Yes, but I, we got, cannot, it, I got that we, phone we call. Cannot, we cannot yet reveal the name of said mystery guest, but uh, you will be wowed. Everybody wants this person. They wanted them for years, and we are the only ones that are getting them to, to start out with anyway. Yes. Yes, and let, let's fingers crossed that guest comes through. Fingers yep. crossed. Let, let's hope so. We cannot reveal our secret guest's mystery identity at this time. That's right. That's right. Oh, by the way, I had some requests on your World Bigfoot radio show this past weekend. You showed a baby Sasquatch and some really cool eye shine in the forest. Oh, yeah. Yep, that's the regular for the show. The, the week before, we were showing some more video and pictures of uh, the eye glow and the eye shine that Rich and the Red Squatching Boys had captured over there on the Omaha Reservation in uh, Nebraska, I think is where they got all that stuff. The baby Sasquatch is actually some video I got where I was trying to line up a shot where I had previously gotten what I thought were a couple of Sasquatch in this piece of video. So then you have to go tromping out in the woods, find the same exact spot, stand in it, aim the camera in the same direction. It has to be same time of day, same weather conditions, same light conditions. So you get a good comparison shot. So I'm thinking about all this. I'm walking over. I'm going, okay, I was right up here between where these big timber tangles were all lying together, a whole bunch of fallen trees all kind of on top of each other. And I went up right as far as I could, and then I had turned around and filmed. So I remembered I had to go up to that spot. There you go. 
Okay, so explain to our radio audience what we're looking at right now. Oh, you got the audio going. Okay. That is, in fact, uh, the face of the little guy that was, as I was just about to get to there, as I turned around to take that picture, there was actually two of them that were hiding under that pile of timber, and there was two more that were behind them. We found all of them in the video afterwards. And this little guy just thought he was going to count coup on me. So as I was turning around, that's the last sequence with him on the video right there. There he is. We got the audio going again, Dave. It shouldn't be playing audio because I have that uh, that page muted. Okay, well, I'm hearing it on this end. I don't know. Is anybody in chat hearing it? I don't think so. They shouldn't be able to because I'm not hearing it. Okay. Anyway, so, yeah, there's the outline of his three, four little fingers, and the dots are where his eyes are, and you can see where the nose is and the outline of the face. And he's reaching up in between these logs. He's going to touch me as soon as I turn around <laughs> and count coup on me. And the uh, guest that I had on the show, Rich, was talking about the same thing that happened to him when uh, he was out with his guys, and they were doing a nighttime recon, and they heard something jump down out of a tree, run right past him, and it touched Rich as he went past. And so... Apparently, he had one count coup on him, too. Oh, very strange. Very strange. You know, yep. one, one of the things that I wanted to look at here on this video with you, because I caught it, I believe this one near the end here has some eye shine in it. This this creeps me out. Okay. Yeah, this is in complete darkness, too. This isn't reflective uh, a light. You know, they're shining the light around and stuff, trying to figure out where things are at. Actually, there was, I think there was one earlier in this. This is the second part. It was earlier in this part, or it was in the, the other part where it's like, it's, it's nighttime. All you can see is this one thing glowing. And you're like, what is that, an orb? No, it's one eye. They're peeking around a tree looking at them. Yeah, I mean... And this one, yeah, they do get it. There it is. There's the eyes. I just could not imagine what that would be like. I couldn't imagine what that would be like, Duke. <clears throat> you know... I have I not mean, actually seen eye glow. I've seen eyes shine before. That's that's creepy stuff right there. <laughs> I mean, If you got a light on it or something and it's reflecting back like that, could be... Uh, various other critters but you look at the color of it it looks like it's a light blue color there's not very many animals that will reflect an eye shine that color i mean the idea that looking at this video here these gentlemen who are filming this are what 50 feet away 60 feet away yeah, maybe probably yeah and and to have a creature because you can't tell what it is but to have a creature whether it's a bear or a cougar or, uh, you know, a Sasquatch or whatever it may be, that close, shine, you know, and seeing its eyes, and that's all you can see. <laughs> yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> My goodness. My goodness. Like I said, I haven't seen the eye glow. I've seen eyes shine before, and one time it was uh, – it doesn't take very much. We were, me and Michael were up on the road up above camp because there was a Perseid meteor shower was going on and we had a nice clear starry sky so you could see all the meteors coming down. So we just walked up there in the dark, didn't have flashlights on or anything. And we were watching the meteors come down. And I started noticing that over to my left-hand side where the bushes along the road were, 
there was a set of eyes that looked just about like that. <laughs> and as I would notice the meteors going down and my eyes would drift in that direction because the meteors are going that direction, I would see his eyes over there. And even with just the faint amount of light from the stars, you could see, you know, eye shine off of his eyes. And he was only about 40, 30, 40 feet away from us. He was watching, watching what we were doing. Creepy. Creepy. Now, when you're that close to them, are they making noise? Are they deadly silent? Well, it depends on the situation. If these guys are out walking around in the woods and stuff so they can move around and, uh, for the most part, they're really silent. Occasionally they make a noise, but you know, it may be that they're trying to do that when we're at camp and, you know, like the one that was sitting in the, the bushes there watching me I, after the fourth time I said, Hey, I can see you. And he backed up into the bushes. So I couldn't see his eye anymore, but I never heard him. I could just see his eye shine. Um, and we, you know, we've had them around camp before too, where you can see their eye shine. Generally they're pretty good at hiding that, but you'll hear them more often. They'll be making little subtle noises. They'll be cracking twigs, rustling leaves, or they'll do a wood knock, or you hear a rock clack, or they'll do a whoop or something like that. Just so you know they're there. Right. Even if you don't exactly see them, you know they're over there. Right. Okay. So if you're staring in that one set of eyes, how many more? sets of eyes are around you that you're not seeing well yeah exactly you don't know exactly how many they've got watching you we've been able to gauge it by how much activity there is around our main research area there's actually a, a christian kids camp that comes up there and sets up camp on uh thursday night uh, or is it friday friday night and then saturday morning they leave and go whitewater rafting and they do this every weekend all summer long so we know Thursday night when we show up, there's going to be Bigfoot all over the place by the camp because there's nothing else going on in the valley. Then the following night, we won't see them. They might have one sentinel watching us. The rest of them will be over watching all the kids at the camp. Then on Saturday night, they'll be back over watching us again. See what I mean? They're like fairly predictable once you figure out what they're up to and what's attracting their attention. Oh, the boys aren't around here tonight. They're going to be over there. We'll you know, probably have maybe one watching us. And then the next night when all the kids are gone, there's nothing else going on in the valley. So we're the entertainment again. And they come over and pay attention to us again. Right, because Sasquatch seems to have a real affection for children. Yeah, that used to creep me out a lot. And I've been really paying close attention to that sort of interaction and stuff. And I think part of it is that, that since they can read your surface intentions and stuff, and, and children are... Um, they're not, they're not, they don't think like adults do. They're very innocent. They're not agenda driven. They're not out to kill things and, you know, whatever. They're just little innocent kids. And so I think they can relate to that a lot. And also the fact that their kids are basically harmless. You know, right. we're practically harmless to them. Kids are really harmless to them. And it's entertaining. And the other thing is, if you've had um, a lot of, I've heard I've got a lot of reports from people that have been long-term interactors and stuff with them, and from what I've been able to gather, their their kids do the same kind of stupid antics our kids do. You know, you hear them giggling and playing, and children's voices in the woods. Those aren't children; those are little Sasquatch that are playing with each other. That's what you're hearing. <laughs> My goodness! My goodness! We got 90 seconds here before we gotta go to break here. 
at the bottom of the hour here. Now, Duke, what kind of story are you setting us up for the next half hour? Well, I'll tell you, uh, in honor of the fact that uh, it's it's now, of course, 2 2023 the show started out at 2-21, so we're going to have the top 21 Bigfoot sighting locations that if you want to see one somewhere near where you're at, here's the top 21. And then I got some more military encounters we can uh, fill up some more time with. I love the military encounters. I do. Oh, we got some good ones. We got some good ones. I love it. I love it. You know, the one thing that I love about going after and looking for this creature is you can go out a hundred times and you could feel it around you 60 times, 30 times. It's not, there's nothing going to be there. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, that one time, you know, that one little time when you're least expecting something, you get a brief moment into holy cow, that just happened. It's such a rush, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've, it still works that way with me when I go to a new area, so I'm not sure if they're around or anything. And then if there's like any level of activity, I'm like super excited. But if I go to my main research area, I expect them to be there. So if they're not around, I start getting creeped out and going, where the hell are they? What's going on? They should have been here by now. <laughs> Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is here with the Cryptid Report. We will return with Cryptid Reports from all across North America with World Bigfoot Radio's Super Duke Sullivan. We will be right back with the final half hour of Spaced Out Radio right after this. Stay tuned. Good stuff there, Super Duke. Yeah, I got this uh, top 21 Sasquatch is pretty interesting, too. Actually, uh, Lauren Coleman compiled it. He only made a top 20, so I added one. (laughs) So he skipped an important one that should have been high on the list. (laughs) I apologize to everybody if I'm looking a little tired tonight. Uh, I had to shovel a lot of snow today. Oh, good Lord. A lot of snow. Don't you guys know about them snowblowery things they got now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But sometimes good old (laughs) manual labor has to interact with that. As long as you're not going to have a heart attack, uh, shoveling snow is really kick-ass exercise, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's like throwing hay bales and stuff. You will be sore. You will get a good workout. Back as a kid, I loved... Love going to my cousin's farm and throwing hay bales. Yeah, I know. Me too. It was awesome. My Sometimes cousin whipped so far up onto the the top of the other pile that they'd flop over the other side and they'd get mad at us. They'd break opening. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Like my cousin, uh, they had ten acres, and um, they come from a very strict Haldeman Mennonite family. But my cousin never joined the church, so he was. Yeah, uh, him and I got along pretty good, but it was we finished haying. I think at about eleven thirty at night, and we go into the barn. We're getting everything kind of cleaned up and everything. And uh, his mom comes into the barn, my, um, and uh, says, "Oh, I made you guys a little bit of a snack 
before you because uh, I figured you guys would be all hungry after this. So we're like, oh, yes, we're starving. And there's like five or, five or six of us. We walk into the house, and the first thing you smell is fresh bread that's been baked. Mm. Yeah, that that was just the start of it. We get in there. There is roast beef, mashed potatoes, carrots, corn, peas, mushrooms, salad, like a full course meal. And we thought, well, I thought this was just a little snack. Snack. No, no. (laughs) Full course meal, fresh homemade gravy. You know, it was just, oh. Oh, God. Now I'm hungry. I got to go warm my coffee up and grab part of a smoke. I'll be right back. Yeah, you got uh, two two and a half minutes. Yeah, that was a good meal by Cousin Pam. Good Uh. meal. Oh, Super Duke's on the microwave right there. Now I'm hungry. Why did I have to go and say that? I'm on day five. Day four or five of eating uh, chicken salad for dinner. I'm going to see if I could do this for a month. Because I have to say, I I really enjoy a good chicken salad. And I like vegetables. It was uh, totally Steve Wolf, a nice rib stick in food coma. Like all of us after we finished that meal. Um, oh, and by the way, she for dessert, she also baked fresh apple pie. Yeah. Be sure to say in the email where I met you, S-O-R. D. Swagger, what's that for? Is that for Vegas? Is that what that's for? Thank you to our super chatters tonight. Uh, Thomas and Deb and Derek and Zen 2. Very much appreciate the love and support. Blueberries don't last long in my house. I can go buy like two packs of blueberries and I'll have them destroyed within the next couple of days. Yeah, they don't last in my house at all. Trying to, Deb from Sack. Trying to. Got to look good. All right, we got 10 seconds, Super Duke. 10 seconds. 10-ish, 9-ish, 8-ish. Here we go. Rounded third, we're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. 
My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go with the Cryptid Report. Our good friend, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is here, and he's going to take us into the night with some real weird cryptid stories. Duke, welcome back. Hey, always fun to be here. And big sky howdy to everybody out there in listener land. Absolutely. So where are you taking us, Duke? What kind of adventure? Well, like I said, uh, first of all, we've got the top 21. (laughs) The Bigfoot top 21. What's the Bigfoot top 21? The 21 best places to see Bigfoot. As compiled by Lauren Coleman in his book, Bigfoot, The True Story of Apes in America. They're not apes. <clears throat> he says, you have a better chance of seeing a Bigfoot or finding a footprint in one of the following hotspots than anywhere else in North America. Sightings are so routine near some of these communities that many recognize their good fortune through road signs, memorials, statues, museums, and gift shops. Number one on the list, Bluff Creek, California. Bluff Creek is the mecca of the Bigfoot field, the birthplace of the first Bigfoot track finds and the site of the filming of the Patterson-Gimlin footage made famous by the familiar frame 352 of a female Bigfoot, now named Patty. Visit the nearby Bigfoot wing of the Willow Creek China Flats Museum in Willow Creek. Take 299 East from 101 at Arcata. It houses Bob Titmus's entire Bigfoot cast collection and other great Bigfoot exhibits. A 23-foot-tall Bigfoot statue by Gordon Burns stands outside the museum. The 8-foot-tall life-size Bigfoot sculpture. Hey, who says a 23-foot one isn't life-size? Anyway, Bigfoot sculpture by Jim McLaren is nearby, with yet another statue at the Legends of Bigfoot Museum at Gaberville, also in Humboldt County. Willow Creek's annual Bigfoot Days celebration occurs on the Labor Day weekend and features speakers and family activities. This may be out-of-date information. This is a very old book. At number two, he puts Falk, Arkansas. And uh, interestingly, this weekend, I have the guy that played the part of the Boggy Creek Monster himself, Keith Crabtree, on my show. The real-life encounters of the Falk Monster and the filming of the famed Boggy Creek movies occurred near this village. Shop for Bigfoot souvenirs at the local Monster Mart. An annual Boggy Creek Festival is held every April, complete with books to buy, cast to view, Bigfooters to meet. There's actually more than one um, folk Bigfoot type camp out that goes on, but you got to kind of be a local or know somebody to know about the other ones. Three Ape Canyon Ape Caves, Mount St. Helens, Skamania County, Washington. Here's where the apes attacked in 1924 and where their relatives continue to be seen today. Signage memorializes the event in the Ape Caves area. The county serves as a gateway into the Gifford Pinchot National Forest site of the Skookum Cast Find. Due to a high level of activity, Skamania is the only county in the nation where it's against the law to kill a Bigfoot. The annual Carson Bigfoot Days is usually held in August with Bigfoot lectures, states, statues, exhibits, and family fun. 
To the east along the Spirit Lake Highway in Kid Valley, there's a Bigfoot statue near a tourist shop. Drive further north and find a Bigfoot crossing sign on the Mount Baker Highway. Clocking in at number four, Oregon Caves National Monument, Grants Pass, Oregon. Grants Pass has a rich history of Bigfoot encounters. A local service group, the Oregon Cavemen, was established in 1922 and then erected a giant figure of a prehistoric caveman at the Interstate 5 exit to Grants Pass. Since the Bigfoot sighting in 2000 at Oregon Caves, local shops have been selling Bigfoot memorabilia. Hillsboro, Oregon holds an annual International Bigfoot Society conference. Coming in fifth place, Mount Shasta, Trinity Alps, California. The Trinity Alps are also steeped in native and modern Bigfoot lore. The Sisson Museum, southwest of Mount Shasta City, has Bigfoot exhibits and souvenirs. Now in at number six, somewhere nearer to Old Dave up there, Harrison River area, plus Clem 2 and the nearby islands off British Columbia. Sasquatch habitats exist throughout British Columbia. You can also attend the annual International Sasquatch Symposium in Vancouver or go visit the Sasquatch Zunaquat totem poles at the University of British Columbia's Museum of Anthropology campgrounds named after Bigfoot and Sasquatch often have statues of the hairy primates at their entrance, especially in the Harrison Hot Springs area, which is also extremely notorious for Bigfoot sightings and lots of Bigfoot lore, Sasquatch lore, as they would say up there. Coming in at 7, Pike National Forest in Colorado. The sightings in the Pike National Forest are a local secret. One authentic road sign in the park warns motorists of frequent Bigfoot crossings. That should be a bit of a clue. <laughs> uh, number 8, Mount Hood National Forest, Oregon. Mount Hood has been an active Bigfoot area since the 1800s. The shops in nearby the Dolls, Oregon, usually have Bigfoot souvenirs because the town was formerly the location of Peter Burns, now defunct Bigfoot Research Center. Coming in at number nine, Payette National Forest, Idaho. Payette National Forest is one of the hidden secrets of the Bigfoot world. Much more is going on in Idaho than most people realize. Yeah, that's where Glag came from. Serious researchers only are allowed access to Jeff Meldrum's collection of over 100 Bigfoot casts at Idaho State University. Or you can go out two blocks away and get your own. <laughs> 10, Jackson County, Murfreesboro, Illinois. Home of the Big Muddy Monster is a quiet town. Low-key local acknowledgement like T-shirts are hard to find, but surface occasionally. And I'm putting in at number 11, anywhere in western Montana, if you're in a national park or a forest, there's Bigfoot there. And it's such a well-known fact that they live around here. See that shirt? That's from a jerky factory in Lincoln, Montana. They've got their own damn Bigfoot shirt. Every truck stop in a little stinking town you go into in western Montana has their own Bigfoot shirt. Missoula probably has a dozen different designs right now that you can get. It's that commonly known. And like Bigfoot live all over the place here, but they don't do any tourism associated with it which is also sort of peculiar because, well, we've got all these giant parks and you know, they're, they're getting us $4 billion a year anyway, so who cares about advertising for Bigfoot, right? So <clears throat> coming in at number 12, Tuscarora's Coshocton County, Ohio. On the east of the Appalachia, this is the territory of the Ohio Grassman. An annual Bigfoot conference takes place in Newcomerstown where casts, books, T-shirts, and more are available. 
And uh, guest who's been on my show several times, uh, uh, Jerry uh, from Ohio, um, he actually is in that Coshocton area. And Jerry Klein has been all over that place, and he's gotten some amazing evidence out of there. I mean, it's like really shocking, you know, compared to some of these guys that are in Pacific Northwest in position where they should be able to get tons of evidence. And he's over there in Ohio getting the tons of evidence, you know, finding track lines that are two miles long and stuff like that. Like, wow. Uh, and uh, so we were, where are we at here? Number 13, St. Tammany Parish, Louisiana. This is the stomping ground of the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Boat tour guides are aware of the monster's history. And an exhibit at the Audubon Zoo in New Orleans has a life-size representation of the monster. At number 14, the Everglades, Big Cypress Swamp, Florida. Active pockets of skunk ape encounters abound throughout the swampy environments. Shop along the alligator alley. Carry artifacts from fake ape heads to t-shirts acknowledging the creature's existence. At number 15, Marion County, Texas, here lies Caddo Lake, notorious place, a spooky spot linked to the Boggy Creek activities again. Black Lake down there, same thing. An annual Bigfoot conference at Jefferson focuses on the Texas Bigfoot. 15, Pike, oh, excuse me, 16, Pike County, Missouri. This is the home of the Momo, uh, the Missouri monster, so active in the 1970s and still seen around today. Talks at the local Louisiana, Missouri library occasionally discuss Momo's place in Bigfoot history. At number 17, Allegheny Fayetteville Counties, Pennsylvania, still haunted by the hairy relatives of Jan Clements Kong. This region is abuzz with Bigfoot stories. An annual East Coast Bigfoot Researchers Conference takes place in Jeanette. At number 18, Lake Louise Jasper, Alberta. Reports of the hairy giants of the woods date back to the 1800s in Lake Louise Jasper. New reports come in yearly. The National History Museum Clock Tower Village in Banff has a life-size exhibit of a Sasquatch. At number 19, Antelope Valley, California. Antelope Valley sees a lot of unusual Bigfoot activity but does not get much publicity even though it's so close to L.A. South of the city in Orange County, there's a little Bigfoot museum with a gigantopithecus skull replica, Bigfoot casts, and Bigfoot books at Knott's Berry Farm near the Bigfoot Rapids water rafting ride. And at number 20, St. Clair, Sanilac, Huron, Tuscola, Saginaw counties of Michigan. Pretty much the whole thumb of Michigan has seen decades of Bigfoot encounters. That's over there where BMR lives in Michigan. With possible migrations into the Sister Lakes and Monroe area, recent activity hints that this could be a good location for searches. And this is written 30 years ago, so yeah, there's like a huge lot of reports coming out of Michigan right now. The Michigan uh, Magazine Museum of the M33 between Fairview and Commons has an exhibit of a Bigfoot track cast taken near there. And finally, at number 21, Northern Maine. 95% of the state of Maine is covered in trees. And indications are that the down east side of the Appalachian Mountains, from Aroostook to Kennebec counties, still serve as a route of activity for what the Mi'kmaq tribe called the Gugwee. In Sydney, look up Richard Brown to see his Bigfoot track casts. J. Carr's Outdoor Museum all the way to the very end of Interstate 95 in Holton, Maine, has a Bigfoot statue outdoors. (laughs) 
And as far as Maine goes, there's a researcher over there who specializes in digging up really old reports and also does bushcraft and stuff. And he's got a channel, uh, DL Susie, uh, which I recommend. I'm not sure if he's even still around doing anything anymore, but great stuff if you want to know about the history of Bigfoot over in Maine. And you can also pick up some info on how to be a bushcrafter. And so you can go camp with the Sasquatch that are hopefully friendly. <laughs> so there's your top 21. Well, you know, the only thing that I found disappointed about that is the fact that British Columbia, which is a hotbed all over the province. Was that far down the list? Number one, that far down the list. But number two, that it was all lumped together. Yeah. Like we were. Well, you know, a lot of these places you didn't go like, ooh, this state's got a lot of Bigfoot. And he did that with British Columbia. He said, there's no hotspot. The whole, the whole place is a hotspot. All of British Columbia is a hotspot. Right. Right. You know, I, I got to be protective of my province here. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Lauren. You know better. Uh, yeah. Well, well, you know. It's Lauren. What can you say? Oh, very true. Very, very true. But either way, you know, I, he's I not fe- running his Bigfoot museum. He's posing as Santa Claus. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> he can pull it off, though. That's you, know, <laughs> you just put a red hat on, hat on Lauren, and he's all good to go. We got all the Sasquatch are asking him for a present. We got seven minutes left, my friend, and I know you want to. Well, let's hear a nice military report. Love it. Let's get to it. Let's see. Wonder if we can get through this one. Edwards Air Force Base surveillance, written by Doug Trapp. The sun dropped quickly behind the desert rock piles, revealing a deep red glow to the western sky. As Corey Rudolph and I made camp at the east end of Avenue J in Palmdale one spring night in 77, we had been visiting the area as often as possible in response to several credible Bigfoot reports in this California desert. To the east was nothing but dark black sky, with thousands of stars and periodic meteors whizzing by. Our objective was twofold. One, to observe all we could during the night, and two, to get away from the Los Angeles rat race. We had been driving through the area north of the mountains separating the L.A. area from the desert in search of clues and people to interview who claimed to have encountered a desert Sasquatch. Through the next three years, Corey and I, and sometimes with my faithful red-tailed hawk, Nixon, gathered as much information on desert Sasquatch activity as we could. In many cases, the witnesses told very similar tales of large hair-covered man-like apes observed crossing the highway or looking in their windows at their homes, usually after midnight. Through these witnesses, we slowly became aware that the military just north of Lancaster, California, at Edwards Air Force Base, had been witness to these desert man-based for several years. We finally made contact with three different military security officers. None of them knew each other or who provided us with information relating to what the Air Force knew about these animals. Before I continue with this, I must inform the reader that these three men were willing to discuss this with us only because we promised to never reveal their names or ranks. If we did, they would deny everything. Because I believe in keeping promises, I will comply with their request, but will refer to them only by rank, since I do not believe... Excuse me. Uh, Not much has changed since that. 
The first I interviewed was a lieutenant in charge of security in the sector of Edwards Air Force Base near Rogers Dry Lake. He was primarily responsible for supervising the surveillance activity from sunset to sundown from 1972 to 75, and he was then transferred to Germany and then retired. This gentleman explained to me that the base security was primarily involved with monitoring for unauthorized entry to the base by curiosity seekers. The base was highly involved with classified secret aircraft testing at the time, so it was curiosity seekers read UFO people. And there were many curious people trying to take photos. In addition, the base had a very high level of UFO activity, or as he put it, alien spacecraft. In fact, he made it clear these craft were not from Earth, and that the Air Force knew very little about them. When any unauthorized people or alien craft entered its perimeter, my informant was to report to the higher command and observe. All his personnel had top security clearance and were to discuss nothing of what they saw. He further described some of these craft to me, but I was not very interested at the time. While they were conducting surveillance one night, always using starlight scopes and motion detectors spread throughout the base, one of the guards reported an infiltration in his perimeter. When he asked for details, the guard described a very tall man, but not really a man. Perplexed by such a report, he decided to drive to the location and talk to the guard, perhaps thinking the man had lost his marbles. When he arrived, a wide-eyed guard met him and repeated his story. The lieutenant began to scan the desert for the intruder and soon spied him, or it, through the starlight scope, he could clearly see this was not a man. It was very tall, hair-covered, ape-like man walking through the desert. He said the animal appeared to be looking at the desert floor in search of something. It was about 500 yards distant, but the scope was very powerful and tripod-mounted, so he could be observed clearly. Both men continued to observe the animal as it wandered around almost aimlessly. He then reported to his superiors of this activity and was told to keep the animal in sight. This is no problem as the animal remained in the area. About five minutes later, a helicopter was heard approaching the area. Then it was seen coming in fast from the east. They continued to observe the animal, which continued its activity. The helicopter came in over a rock pile. Then the animal spooked. It looked at the helicopter, turned, and ran like a deer around a rock pile and out of sight. The helicopter searched the area but never found the animal. The two men could hardly believe what they had seen. The next day, the lieutenant reported to the command post of the previous night's activity. The command told him that these animals had been seen on the base before, and the public knew them as Bigfoot or Sasquatch. The command explained that they were concerned that these animals may be related to the alien craft, and that all such reports must remain top secret. He was told to continue to observe and report, but not to intervene or disturb the animals until the command determined what they were. The lieutenant had heard the Bigfoot before, but not in the desert. He always thought this was some sort of fable or hoax, but he knew what he saw and now knew they were real. Through the following years, he and his crew observed the Sasquatches on the base several times. By 75, they had sophisticated equipment, including video surveillance cameras mounting in key areas. He then explained to me that they had videotaped these animals several times, but the tapes were classified and held under top security at all times. By the time he left Edwards, they had learned very little about these creatures. But his feeling was that they were not UFO-related, but biological living beings. How much time we got, Dave? We have just over a minute and a half. All right. Well, I guess I'll cut her short there. I don't know if we, how much more we can get on this one. Uh, one little more section. The second officer I interviewed was a major before he retired in 78, served at Edwards Air Force Base in 70 through 78, 
was in charge of the command post on the north end. He, too, explained that they were primarily interested in UFOs and aliens, and it was, in fact, through him that he first heard the term EBE. In any case, the major confirmed the lieutenant had told what the lieutenant had told me, but added, these creatures also found their way into the secret underground tunnels that run under Edwards Air Force Base. Although the, the use and existence of these tunnels was classified, he told me about them knowing that their importance was a moot subject to me. He said they had surveillance cameras in the tunnel and had, in, in fact, videotaped the Sasquatches as they wandered around in them. Oh, weird. We're going to have to see if Random Guy knows anything about that. We're going to have to find out. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, again, you know, as I've been covering over the last little uh, period here over the last few weeks, there's plenty of reports of them on military bases. The military know they exist. This oh, is yes. no big surprise to them. Super Duke, we will talk to you in a couple of nights' time. Thank you so much for another great cryptid report, Super Duke, from World Bigfoot Radio. Love you guys. Can hardly wait to tell who tell you all who our mystery guest coming up is going to be, but it's going to blow your minds. We scoop the entire world. <laughs> Ah, we love it. We love it, my friend. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you in a couple nights' time. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Big thank you to Swamp Dweller. And to our guest tonight, Deb Jordan-Cobble, talking about alien incursions. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up. For the guitar god himself, special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Spreaker, LinkedIn, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us, because together, my friends, we're watching Beyond the Night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the woo train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we got room for them, too. Good night.